Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. And thank you once again for coming to Bard's Logic Political Talk, part of the Grassroots and Conservative Conversation. And also, you can find us at the Patriot Journalist Network at www.patriotjournalist.com. I want to thank you for coming to the show, whether you are coming live here on Blog Talk Radio or you are listening to the podcast here or on some of the other venues you can listen, whether that is from the iTunes app or also. Uh, someone has shared this link uh, to you through their email or LinkedIn or Facebook. Uh, we definitely welcome you to the show uh, tonight or whenever you are listening to the show. Now, of course, uh, as usual, lots going on in this 2018 year. Uh, so we'll be talking about some of the uh, recent events. Uh, but first, we will have our guest and our continuing coverage of the 2018 uh, midterm elections. Uh, tonight we have a uh, gubernatorial uh, primary candidate uh, coming on uh, from Hawaii. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, so we'll uh, get him on uh, for uh, the show, and I believe we have him on the line now. So let's go ahead and uh, welcome Ray. And I'll let uh, Ray do the last name because I had uh, uh, you know, a hard time pronouncing it. So Ray, thank you very much for coming <laughs> to the show. How are you tonight? You betcha. Aloha, and it's, it's LaRue. It's very simple. There's a lot of vowels and an X that don't do much. You're, yeah, LaRue, that, that's much better than what uh, I was anticipating. <laughs> so uh, thank you very much uh, for coming to the show, and I do appreciate you, you coming great on. You to be uh, uh, great with you. Well, I appreciate it, and, you know, we'll just go ahead and get, and get right to it. Uh, for those who'd like to chime in, just push the one on your number dial, we'll let you get into the uh, the show to you know ask some questions, maybe some comments of our guests tonight. But first, of course, uh, as the host, I do have some of my uh, questions of my own, so we will get started here. Uh, first is, of course, you know, uh, one of the questions we ask many of the candidates that uh, come on the show is kind of a background, uh, but with just with a little uh, added caveat for yourself because of where you're running, uh, which is uh, Hawaii, uh, and what caused you to run. Uh, it's such a strongly Democrat state uh, there, and that's kind of a little cameo, as you know, especially since it's, it's run pretty much by the Democrats. And I know it says uh, a lot of it has to do with the economy, but uh, you could bring that in as well. But also, you know, what motivates you and what drives you to run for governor? Yeah, in fact, it's, it's mostly a Democrat state. I think we believe I believe we have uh, five representatives in our House of Reps that are Republican and mm-hmm. zero in the state. Um, and it's been that way pretty much since – statehood uh maybe now and then you had uh, some some uh, dips and, and ebbs and flows i would say 
But, you know, when you look at the, the Hawaii landscape and certainly um, whether or not I had political aspirations or not, you stay informed, you stay engaged. I'm a retired Marine that has called Hawaii home for often on 20 years. And as you sit and watch and you watch the, uh, you know, the economy, as you had mentioned, and then other things that are going on that are more Hawaii issues versus national issues, and it appeared to me that, you know, as the League of Women Voters states very succinctly, that, you know, for a citizen, for the democracy to work, citizens need to be engaged. And for the Hawaii government to include our uh, federal representatives or our federal delegation to Congress um, or state delegation to Congress, it's all made up of one party. And, and really what that does is it gives uh, the voters really just a one-size-fits-all choice, no freshness of voice, no debate. When I say debate, I mean there's, there's natural dissension that needs to be, uh, be occurring to have that level of debate on the issues. So um, I think it's imperative for democracy to work, especially within this state, to give people a choice, give people a different uh, set of big ideas, different set of solutions to the issues that face Hawaii, and uh, to have just one party uh, make those decisions, make uh, legislation happen uh, with that thought process in mind, I think is unfair to the voters. Not to mention that I really do believe uh, I'm a, I bring st a strong sense of leadership to uh, the role of I'm privileged to be uh, elected and, and gain the vote of confidence of the people here in Hawaii. But there's a myriad of issues that, that face Hawaii, um, and you need sound leadership, and you need a different set of ideas to, to, to course correct some of the paths that we've been on. Well, I certainly want to thank you, sir, for your service uh, to our country. Uh, you know, definitely want to thank you thank for that. And, and so, you know, and, and this is a primary uh, to see who's going to, you know, run against, you know, what we assume is going to be the Democrat and maybe some other parties uh, in the general election. So we'll, we'll start off there. And the first we'll discuss uh, John Carroll. Now, he describes himself as the only real conservative in the race. Uh, now, would you agree with that, uh, his contention there? Or, I mean, do you consider yourself uh, more of a conservative or uh, more of a, you know, a moderate, or would you consider yourself more towards the, uh, the Democrat Party? No, I, I mean, you have to define conservative. I mean, Harry Truman was a conservative, but he was a Democrat. So as, as, as time has morphed to 2018, you know, the definition of what true conservatism is, 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 is kind of different than what perhaps even the Republicans in our Congress would define it as today. But, you know, if you look at how Hawaii is hardwired, you know, conservatism has not always taken route here, but I wouldn't say that John Carroll is the only true conservative. You have to have most of the people, I think, um, no matter where you sit in the spectrum, uh, you have your alt-right and you have your alt-left, but most of us actually, I do believe, are somewhat centrist. Uh, some will lean obviously left, some will lean obviously right. And because I've got the, uh, you know, that, that military background behind me, strong defense, strong, uh, just a national fabric of things, and, you know, fiscally conservative, uh, that's really where I align. Well, what I've read sounds like that, you know, Hawaii may very well need some, some fiscal conservatism. Uh, there with uh, you know, some of the problems that we're hearing with infrastructure and things of that nature. Uh, but staying in the yes, same sir. vein with uh, your, at least your primary candidates is uh, now Representative Cynthia uh, Thielen. Uh, now there's right. an assertion. Okay, yeah, that, that's the next one. Now there was a assertion that um, I think it was 
you need a, a, to have a, a vibrant leader who's been out of the way, day-to-day showing her ability. Now, this was uh, Andrea Tupula, um, Correct. That, I believe, said that uh, about uh, – or it was Cynthia saying that about – Cynthia Thielen's assertion about Andrea Tupula, you know, saying that, you know, we need a vibrant leader who's been out there day-to-day showing her ability uh, and that saying we need to get behind her. Uh, you know, with that being said, by someone who's an already representative – uh, how would you, you know, overcome that where it looks like the um, – I don't want to go as far as to say the establishment, but it looks like they may have already, at least in this point, uh, have their pick. They may have, um, and, and um, I, I read that comment as well. I'm pretty sure it was made, uh, and, and don't quote me on this, but I entered the race late, and uh, it was an agonizing decision to do so, but um, I might not have been a candidate perhaps when, when those comments were made, and with regards to Representative Tupola, I've met her. I mean, she's, she is energetic. She is vibrant. Um, she's uh, been a member of the uh, the House of Rep here locally in Hawaii. Um, and, you know, I don't know that she is the right choice now, um, and I'll say that. Um, she does uh, have a certain uh, following, but, you know, she's very young, 37. Um, I'm not sure that she's ever owned a budget. I'm not, I'm not sure she's ever led anything. And when you start looking at the, uh, the the operating budget for the state of Hawaii and the issues that it faces, it's gonna it's gonna take somebody that's had some sort of executive experience to even understand the intricacies of a budget that large and moving some pretty large pieces around. Yeah, and I mean it, it doesn't seem like she you know has a, you know a lot of experience, but she might be like a fresh face, and you know uh, a lot of people you know that's that's kind of. You know the the wave now is fresh face, but it, that would include yourself because I don't believe you you've held any office. You do have, as you said, uh, what I've read, uh, maybe the most uh, executive experience as any of the candidates, uh, at least on the Republican side, uh, for that. But uh, you also, but one of the problems is, is you're I know you're going to be facing whether, especially you get to the general election, is what we stated earlier here this evening, uh, and we also talked about this on the show last week when we. Uh, interviewed uh, someone last year and you kind of gave the, the background of uh, the political structure there in Hawaii and, you know, being the vast majority of uh, Democrats. So that in and above itself uh, is a challenge. And uh, you stated at the West uh, Hawaiian Civics, uh, you know, Civic Club or, or that about the prospect of a Republican victory and, and how can we get a Republican victory? And you think they are, you know, the way to get that, and I believe there's a quote here, I think there is a message we can deliver that will resonate and transcend parties, which I think in this uh, case would be important, you know, again, with the political landscape. And so, uh, and you mentioned earlier that you did recently enter the race. Um, and so, I mean, do you have what that message is? Uh, at this point in, in your campaign, did you already know what that message would be uh, that would resonate and transcend the parties? At this, at this point I, I for get the it. Voters? Yeah, and, and I think it's a, it's a message that you're continually cultivating, but it certainly was a message that I developed before I made the decision to enter the race, and that you, know, you, you have to have a, 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 a succinct message of leadership for all. And with some of the issues that are facing Hawaii, mostly the criminality of the pocketbook, and we are one of the most taxed electorates in the country, the cost of living is, uh, is almost untenable for even anybody holding two jobs, never mind one. And, you know, it, it, if one party has been in control since statehood, 1959, and has not worked out optimally for 
the electorate of Hawaii, well then maybe it's time to look at a different set of ideas and different set of approaches as to how are you going to handle a unfunded state liability? How are you going to deliver education, which the state is responsible for since we're the only one, the only state district in the nation? Uh, how are you going to address the crumbling infrastructure and also with a very expensive, uh, you know, rail project that we've got that is, is a lightning rod issue. Um, so, yes, and, and it's it's not unheard of as well. Um, in the early 2000s, uh, Linda Lingle was a two-term Republican governor and uh, popular in her first term, and, and it somewhat waned, I believe, in her second, but it's not unheard of. But the voters of Hawaii really, um, you know, they, they vote predominantly on the issues or, you know, if, if they believe that you're going to get the job done. Now, there's a big union presence here as well that does pull a lot of votes, and uh, that's typically a Democrat vote. But I don't right. think at any other point in time in Hawaii's local voter history, uh, they have been faced with, uh, you know, the, the economic crisis that, that we're facing today. I mean, we are we're not far behind the state of Illinois with regards to at some point in the future if we don't course correct that, you know, we've got to make a decision on whether to pay our pensioners or we're going to pay our, our teachers. And, and you never want to get to that point. Yeah, certainly. I and, again, I can't remember her uh, her name. She was born as a Democrat uh, in the primary. She's got a lot of I – I can't recall her name, to be honest. I know she's got a lot of uh, union support. But, I mean, but when it comes back to uh, yourself, when you, when you talk about the economy and how the Democrats have pretty much dominated – uh, and they not pretty much they have dominated since you know the beginning of Hawaii and, and how that's worked for the state uh, economically. I think maybe a good uh, good thing to look at would be perhaps you know how the Trump campaign uh, handled Michigan and Pennsylvania, which you know uh, he took those two states, which both Democrat at least in the national uh, in the national elections, you know, for president. I, I mean, you know, a lot you know at least uh, in recent history. So that might be a good, uh, you know, maybe a good thing to look at, you know, in a general election and maybe their their approach uh, to how, you know, the Trump campaign was able to uh, see victory there in Michigan and, and Pennsylvania. Um, now, the primary yeah, sure uh, is – go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, please. No, I thought you were going to bring – I thought you were going to elaborate on that. Well, I, I can, and, and just – you know, you can borrow off that to, to some degree, and, and you know, as, as the old saying goes, all politics are local. And with some of the uh, the economic crisis with regards to cost of living and people living, it, we're just, you know, some folks are just a, a just a bad event away from being homeless. And you've got to be able to convince and convey and hone your message such that people have confidence that you're gonna you're gonna put the things in place. And when I say things. Um, policies in place that are at least going to give them a fair swing at the bat. Um, if they're paying one of the, you know, the second highest gas tax in the nation, if we're continually hitting them with what we have in Hawaii, which is called the GE tax, which is also a tax on a tax, every time you move the dime, it's a 4.72% tax, um, not to mention our income tax and, and all the other taxes that go along with that. Uh, there's no really new revenue coming into the state. So with the infrastructure that needs repair with never mind just maintenance uh, with uh, any, you know, ideology of having new schools built with, um, you know, fixing our, our roads and, and updating our small boat harbors, you know, that money has to come from somewhere. Uh, we can't keep hitting the tourists with it, with a, you know, transit, 
transit tax, um, you know, at some point they're already up to 10%. Um, you got to kind of, it's not sustainable, in other words. So people are starting to feel that in their pocketbook, and it, they know it's not sustainable. Um, as you know, the, one of the ingredients of a growth economy is, is, is keeping your young people in place. So as we matriculate, you know, our students out of a K-12 system, they might migrate to uh, or matriculate to our university system here local or go to the mainland uh, for for uh, undergrad. But they're leaving in droves right now because the work isn't here, the job's not here, they can't make a living here. So you've almost become a very, very um, low class, or I'm saying lower class, uh, all the way up to a, a, a very, you know, upper class with no middle because it's just unaffordable. Yeah, and it also sounds like, you know, some of your, you know, little nation states, you know, who they, they thrive on tourism. You have the people who work, uh, you know, who are pretty much the lower class who work in the hotels and work in the restaurants and things of right. that nature. And then, of course, you got the people who really aren't natives of, of that, you know, island or, or, or little nation state or you know, nation island or what have you. Uh, and the people who who aren't natives there, but you know, it's my gosh, it's such a beautiful place to live. That you know, the you know, they're wealthy enough to be able to afford, uh, you know, the more expensive homes and things of that nature. So you know, in that instance, does kind of wipe out uh, the middle class. And you know, we definitely do you know, have some callers already here on the line. Push the one on your number dial and, and give you the opportunity to uh, speak with or ask questions with our guest tonight. Uh, he's running for the governor of Hawaii, uh, but. So just push the one number, your number dial, we'll get you, we'll get you in. Uh, but also, now the primary is August 11th, which, you know, in a way it kind of sounds far away, but it's, it's not. But even more importantly, in my opinion, is the, the distance between August and November, which, frankly, I mean, that's not a lot of time. Um, so, you know, the general election, I think you're, you're probably going to go against, and I'm, if I, I'm terrible. I'm usually pretty good with pronunciations. Let's see if I do it well. Is it David Ige? Did I say that correctly? Well, um, yeah, I, Governor, Governor David Ige. Would, I'm sorry, Ige. Ige, Ige Governor okay. David Ige. Yeah, I apologize. <laughs> yeah, and he's, yeah, he's probably going to be, and he's probably going to be, um, you know, the the person you know should you win the primary that you would run against, at least you know on the Democrat ticket. You know, again, there might be other parties in there. There's, uh, some non-party affiliated people, I believe, running. There's a, a Green Party candidate running, like I think, unopposed uh, for their party. Um, maybe some independents uh, in there as well. Uh, but I mean, did you already? Uh, have you already? I mean, are you focusing straight on the primary at this point, or because there's such a, a small amount of time between the, the, the when the primary is over and the general election? I mean, are you already prepping to, to go up against him, or at least the, the Democrat? Uh, you know, rival or you yeah. know, opponent, you know, after the primaries? And what would be part of yeah, that strategy? Absolutely. So, you know, in terms of the way that, you know, that I've been, you know, taught to think, you know, you've got your five-meter target and you've got your 25-meter target. So right now the five-meter target is the uh, the primary, and that's that's our concentration. That's where we're focusing most of our uh, concerted effort. But that's not to say that we're not planning for the 25-meter uh, the target line with regards to what the general is going to look like, whoever comes out victorious in the Democratic primary, either Governor David Ige or Representative Colleen Hanabusa, both formidable uh, candidates, uh, if I was to challenge either one of them. And I think she's the one with the union support that I mentioned earlier. I couldn't remember her name. I'm sorry about that. And I mentioned targeting. Uh, 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 now, and, and part of your targeted approach, I mean, 
do you think it'd be a good idea to bring up, you know, what happened in January with the ballistic missile uh, missile alert? You think that would still be relevant in November? I think it will be relevant. Uh, not so much that you know those that understand those kinds of things and uh, having spent enough time uh, here in the Pacific as a uh, as you know a commander and also a staff officer at the Pacific Command, which is now the Pacific Indo Command. Um, you know, you know, you know, when you get something like that, that, you know, okay, somebody, somebody gooned up, but for the masses here, that that was a traumatic event. And you have to look at why did it take 45 minutes to pull back that, that message warning that can be debated. And they've, they've looked at the, the, the issues that, that made that occur. But the bigger thing where I would challenge either, um, representative Hanabuso or governor Ige is, you know, what is the state of our state emergency management? Where's our state civil defense? How are we tied into mass communication? How are we drilling? How are we exercising? How are we tied into, you know, the, the, the military command centers that would, would be monitoring such things? And then if there was, for, for some reason, you know, a, an error message or a, a, a somebody pressed, a, a, you know, sent the alert by, by mistake, how do you recall that instantaneously? You should drill for that such that you've got all scenarios covered. So, that tells me that really the state emergency management, you know, hierarchy or construct or the way that they train needs uh, probably some attention. And you have, uh, you have, and I've got a couple more questions. And, and you know, I know Suzette uh, is the first who wants to uh, chime in, and, and Suzette will be getting you into the in the show here uh, to speak with our guests. But you know, just have a, I've got more questions, just a couple, but before I bring you in. Is that you know you have like you know three uh, pillars if you were you know it's usually kind of how I just describe it not yourself but you know three main uh, topics that you like to you know focus on at least you focus on your in your uh, on your website and that is the economy which you, met, you mentioned earlier but also infrastructure and public education uh, now one of the things uh, with public education and then we'll get on to the infrastructure is that now. You know, should you know to go through the legislature, which with Democrats probably wouldn't. Uh, but would it be where you'd want to end the standardized testing uh, in Hawaii, and you would sign a bill if it ever did come across your desk? Well, whether or not it would come across as a bill with regards to ending standardized testing, um, you know, is debatable as well. Right now, um, in my opinion, and and along with a lot of the other education thought leaders, not only nationally, but certainly here in Hawaii, that there's really too much standardized testing to the point where teachers are, are teaching to the test versus teaching to prepare our kids for a future that, that is uh, moving at the, at the speed of light. Um, what your listeners may not be aware of as Hawaii is, it's, uh, you know, it, it's one school district. It's the only state-run school district in the nation, which makes it the ninth largest school district in the country, or tenth, depending on, on you know, census from year to year. Um, in 2010, the voters of Hawaii changed uh, its constitution by making the governor, uh, you know, culpable and responsible for the delivery of public education by the governor appointing the school board by which to carry out his instruments of policy for education. That school board then hires its superintendent. So you got to have alignment with the governor the school board, and the superintendent, and that trifecta of alignment should shape the delivery of public education. You know, as, as public education nationwide has 
ebbed and flowed with reform to the point where there's reform fatigue, you know, I'm a big proponent, um, even with a lot of the, uh, the, the organizations I stay plugged into, I chair the Education Institute of Hawaii, is that I, I'm a big proponent of school empowerment. If you look at the uh, state budget for education, it's about a $1.9 billion operating budget. Ostensibly, you'd think that for $1.9 billion, you're going to have a pretty optimal system, but we don't. We uh, score pretty low nationally on student achievement. We come in kind of in last place or at least in the bottom 10 with most every metric that you would use to measure student achievement. So we're not doing something right, and I believe that if we're going to say that, okay, let's say 97 cents of every education dollar is at the school level, well, then prove that. I don't believe it is. We've got to empower principals to deliver, teach to the child in that community school so that that child has the best swing of the bat coming out of that K-12 system rather than taking a one-size-fits-all template, putting over the entire system, which in this case is about 257 public schools and 30 public charter schools, and, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. So what we have to do is get our kids ready to, to advance into a world that, oh, by the way, is changing at a, at a, at a alarm, not alarming, but just a very fast rate with regards to the advent of technology and how steep that curve is. No, certainly. And it, well, and you mentioned infrastructure as well. I mean, is there anything you know, linking, you know, with what you want to do with infrastructure and the education system? Yeah. Or what do you think would be the largest, uh, you know, issue that you would need to deal with with uh, Hawaii's infrastructure? The uh, the capital budget that the state spends, so if you, it, it's almost um, – so the Department of Education, again, being one of the largest uh, departments within the state, its capital budget spends – almost half of the state's entire capital budget, somewhere in the mid-40s, Department of Transportation, which is roads, harbors, bridges, uh, et cetera. They spend the other big chunk also in the mid-40s, and obviously all the other departments uh, divvy up what's rest. Um, of the 257 public schools that we have, um, you know, average age of those schools is 65 years old. They were built mostly in the 50s and 60s and 70s, which you can imagine some of that's crumbling. Uh, the ones that are actually older that are in better condition just because they were built differently and they were built to, to uh, accommodate the climate. Um, but when you start looking at the delivery of a 21st century education, what, does those, what do those learning spaces look like? We're not building new schools that are going to help the educators deliver that model or that delivery of education. We haven't built a new high school in almost 20 years. Um, so there, there, there's that part of the infrastructure piece. If you look at our small harbors, um, they're, they're, they're dangerous, they're decrepit. Um, half of the slips in our small boat harbor and the, uh, the Alawai uh, small boat harbor are unusable. Um, and, and this, you know, we're a tourist industry. I mean, you've got people walking by. That should be one of the gems of the Pacific, in my estimation. And then you look at our roads, airports, et cetera. Uh, we need some systemic plan of modernization. Uh, I don't know that there is one. Um, but I think it's also the way that we encumber and spend the capital dollars that we do have, and I do not believe that it's done efficiently. Yeah, I mean, I definitely got even some, you know, more questions I could segue off there talk about schools, things of that nature. But I do want to get uh, Suzette on the line. I do have one more question, but and perhaps we'll get back. And I really appreciate the, you spending the uh, the hour with us. That uh, you know, to form you be with us. So I appreciate that. Now, and, um, one thing on your, your website I find interesting is actually the name of it. It's, uh, it's trustinggovernment.org. And so what do you believe? I mean, and it's obvious 
especially even by the, the last national, national election, I'm talking about the election of uh, Donald Trump, you know, an outsider, someone who's never really been in politics or held a uh, political office before, uh, becoming the president of the United States, really angered a lot of people. That's a story for a different time. Uh, so well, at least what that brings out to me and a lot of people that we've interviewed uh, on the show, you know, just going to a lot of rallies and things of that nature, you know, just, you know, talking to, you know, the, you know, the Americans that go to these rallies, some of which you've never voted before until uh, that election. And uh, do you, I mean, so I believe there has been a cause. I mean, there has been a cause for, and indeed there is lacking of trust in our government. So, but, but what do you believe that stopped, you know, the people's trusting of our government? And what do you believe needs to be done to bring that trust back if it can be, even be brought back? Yeah, and that's a great point. It's one of the salient points by which or, or, or foundational reasons why I I uh, decided to run for office because I am not a politician, but I do believe to, to tackle the issues that we have here locally. Um, you know, Hawaii needs more more of a statesman-like brand of leadership instead of the politician style of leadership that is not, you know, done done well for the state, at least optimally. So when people know that they're being taxed to, you know, to the, to the ninth degree, and statistically, this report came out. Uh, I forget which publication, so I won't use it, won't quote it. But um, you know, with regard to bang for the buck for every taxpayer's dollar here in Hawaii, we get the lowest rate of return of, of all 50 states. So when you know that the, the government's going to spend money on a program, there's very little faith and trust in, in the electorate that that's ever going to come to fruition. Um, in other words. It, it's the same old story over and over again. Um, the way that money is allocated out of the legislature, the way that policies are enacted, the way that the budget is actually executed, um, folks don't have faith that they're ever going to see their tax liability either stay the same or, or even decrease. Um, so you've got to put that confidence back in the voter that, that you are their advocate. I mean, you are elected uh, as, as part of their representative to make sure that they've got the best swing at the bat is of their life here in Hawaii, that they chose to, to either they grew up here or they chose Hawaii as their home. Um, you're their advocate and, and you've got to come to work every day with that belief that um, I've got a job to do. And that's to, you know, a address the issues, look at the foundational things that are making those issues unsustainable and, and start putting corrective action into place or, Again, we're going to turn into, uh, you know, that we're going to have those sets of problems that, that just we're going to pass on to our our, uh, our future. And, and that that is absolutely, uh, again, uh, one of those things that's just not unsustainable and it doesn't sit well with me and I'm sure with uh, the voters either. We definitely think, uh, I agree, I mean, some guys just think it's going to take a really, <laughs> a really long time uh, to, to get that trust back. Um, uh, don't know how long, but I think it's going to, you know, it's going to take a long time. I think, you know, we've always supported here, you know, you know, more, you know, grass, uh, roots, citizen states, men, citizen states, women, uh, you know, to run, they come in, they serve, and then they get back to their, uh, their private lives instead of making, you know, going from either staying in the same position, like, you know, a lot of your Congress and Senate does, but just going from one political office to another. I mean, I, I see that a lot yeah. locally. I'm in Ohio. And I see a lot locally. Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't run my my uh, city council, so I'm going to run for this. Or oh, I didn't run, 
or I didn't win this county seat, so I'm going to run for this. You know, just you see that all the time where it, it happens. People. It happens. Uh, it happens everywhere, and uh, and again, that's where people start losing their trust, especially um, true politicians or that brand of leadership style, where they make uh, promises during a campaign and then just keep uh, you know keep their hands in their pockets for their entire incumbency without even moving the uh, needle an, an inch. So. You know, you mentioned President Trump, and whether you agree with his policies or not or some of the things, I think what he has done, which will be studied in probably every political science classroom in the future, is that if you start ticking off all his campaign promises, and, and again, it's not a debate whether or not you agree with those promises or policies or not, he's making good on them. So in that regard, um, you know, you got to say, well, holy, holy mackerel, you know, this, this guy said he was going to do this, and look what he did. He, he did it. So. Um, I think politicians or people that are going to hold public office, um, if they say that they're going to, you know, commit to something, they, they, they darn well better commit to it. And then I see it's already, and, and time flies at the bottom of the hour, a little bit past that. Uh, so I do want to bring in uh, some callers here. First uh, is Suzette. Uh, Suzette, thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm well. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for having me on. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Good. And your guest, welcome. <laughs> From Thank California. you so much. Uh, Aloha. <laughs> Aloha. <laughs> Why anyone would want to leave Hawaii, I don't know, but I'm, I'm sorry. Just go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I didn't have a choice. We were only stationed there for two and a half years, so on Oahu. I'm familiar with, uh, with the island, and I loved it. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> Very much, but that was back in the 80s. I uh, haven't been back since. But um, it sounds like you've got your hands full. And, um, gosh, I know back then things were getting really crowded as far as the buildings, but they were from outsiders, so it wasn't really benefiting the locals too much. As, you know, maybe jobs, but other than that, um, foreigners were owning a lot of the the, um, hotels and things like that. Um, is that still true today, or were they able to change that? I know there was something about limiting the amount of land now that can be purchased uh, by outside. Yeah, it, it is. And, and the one thing that, you know, Hawaii has uh, very little of that, that is not developed or not zoned um, other than ag is, is land. And we're going through a, a really, I guess you could call it a building boom, um, not only right downtown Honolulu in a little section of Honolulu called Kaka'ako, but certainly out mm -hmm. west uh, in the Kapolei area, which is most residential. But it's the luxury market that is really starting to boom, and it is, uh, you know, some of it's built by uh, local developers and others is offshore. And, you know, the, the price of those, the luxury condos is, you know, it, I don't know too many people that live here that, that can afford them, so who's buying them? Um, so you could probably make your make your own conclusion on that, but it is yeah. uh, it is a contentious issue. Um, it is driving the rental market, uh, you know, upward. Um, inventory of luxury uh, condos is, uh, is is getting larger and larger, which again affects the you know, the overall rental market. So it's definitely an issue, and yeah, it, it's still happening. Still happening. What is your e-commerce structure like? Business structure for the island, being that. You are on an island. Most of your um, local the business would yeah, have to. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the thing uh, I would say the biggest inhibitor to e-commerce um, for Hawaii is obviously, um, you know, 
the freight cost or, or, or paying for the postage. You know, it's mm-hmm. very frustrating for somebody like myself if you're on eBay or Amazon or, or one of the other, um, you know, online shopping sites and uh, you, oh, my God, I need this item, and you click on it, and little parentheses under the, the thing says not available in your area, so you can't get it. And even if you go Amazon Prime, um, which I believe everybody in Hawaii is an Amazon Prime member just to get through that postage thing, um, it's not always available either. But people struggle with the e-commerce piece here just because of the uh, the cost of, of shipping. And, and that's just really one of the prices we have to pay for living in paradise and living on an island. And people do find ways around it. But I would say that e-commerce is as robust as it could be. We've got to find workarounds with regards to how do you make that uh, that postage palatable. Sure, sure. Well, just like the unions negotiate contracts, you know, reaching out to Amazon or eBay, because it's an island, um, there's, you know, something that could be specific to as far as contract and, and um, shipping, I think, maybe could be worked yeah, out. Yeah, and, and, I, and I believe a lot of the small businesses that do rely on a, a, a portion of their business in the e-commerce sphere they have worked out those deals with uh, either a, a private, you know, postage carrier or with the United States Postal Service, such that it makes it makes makes sense for them. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, but just as an island, have like a main hub, you know, like you have a small business center, but it would be directed towards e-commerce, and any other startups um, would be able to do the shipping through through the main hub there on the island, you know, small office or whatever. But um, so this way it can be a bigger, better discount and more profit for, you know, the, um, the business owners and get, yeah. you know, the youngsters excited about doing it. And so, I don't know, that was just a, a thought. <laughs> no, that's a great thought. And uh, there's a lot of young people going to uh, the Shiler Business School here at the University of Hawaii, I'm sure, are going to come up with that business plan. <laughs> yeah. And then your education yeah. system, thinking about school and children. Finland. Yeah. Finland is the first school um, recently, the first one in the country, in the world, actually, to get rid of all school subjects. And you're yeah. talking about bringing the children into, you know, the future as far as their learning. So instead of individuals learning subjects, the students will study events, um, phenomena in an interdisciplinary format. Um, for example, oh, gosh, uh, Second World War will be examined from the perspective of history, geography, and math. And by taking the course, um, it's called Working in a Cafe, students will absorb a whole body of knowledge about yeah. English language, economics, and, you know, communication skills. So it's a different way of learning, but... Um, well, we, uh, them- we at the Education uh, in, yeah, we at the Education Institute of Hawaii, which, again, I chair, uh, we've studied Finland, uh, you know, almost to the nth degree as well. We've had Posse, I want to say Strasbourg, but I, I, I have his last name, but he's the instrumental thought leader in Finland. Finland is the number one academic uh, achievement country in the, in, the, in the world, and they got there by accident. The thing about mm-hmm. the Finns also is, uh, you know, they celebrate failure almost almost uh, vibrantly. In other words, it's okay to try and fail. That means you can try again, and they incorporate that into their yeah. ethos as a so, uh, but you're right. They have uh, done away with standardized testing. There's no homework, um, and there's, uh, you know, there's a love of learning that has been instilled just by kind of this turnaround that they actually really fell into by accident. But they recognize that their student achievement is is the 
you know, number one on the planet, and uh, mm-hmm. that's something to celebrate. And everybody's looking at Finland with regards, you know, how do we model that? Uh, and we're just, you know, as a big, big system here nationally, and then certainly locally, um, you know, it's it probably a little easier to do. But um, change is hard until it happens. And when you start taking on, okay, let's uh, empower principals to actually deliver education based on what they think is is suitable for their community school and then for that specific child in that specific seat. That's, uh, that's a, that's a, it's not a lot of work, but it's a big shift with regards to how we're doing sure, things now. <laughs> to direct. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, yes. Suzette, but, we got, uh, uh, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say the uh, last point Then we got uh, a couple more callers on and we well, want to be able to get them uh, in as well. Uh, for the you know for our guest tonight, um, and I apologize, but I don't want to, we may be able to bring things back around in our, our roundtable discussion to do that. Um, but I don't no, want to be able to make sure that I you know get as many folks in as we can. Uh, so uh, uh, in the line here, we've got others uh, maybe behind these folks, but hopefully we'll be able to get any everyone in. Uh, but first, let's go. We have uh, Susan like to get on, then Dr. Tolbert. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring in Susan. Susan, uh, thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm fine. Thank you. Um, I do have a question to ask him. Um, Certainly. Aloha, Susan. Okay. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. <Aloha. laughs> um, when are you getting rid of that stupid Brian shot? <laughs> Senator <laughs> from Hawaii. Oh, my God, he pesters me, It'll just like several Democrats do. And he's one of them. I don't even know how I got on his list. But he asked for my opinion, and will I help, and will I support him, blah, blah, blah. I live in Idaho, okay? <laughs> so, well, why aren't you running I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you got on his mailing list, but I'm sure there's a, there's a way that you probably, you know, you could find a way to take yourself off that list. But, you know, Senator Schott is, uh, is one of uh, our two senators, and, and all of our uh, congressional delegation here from Hawaii are of the Democratic Party. And, uh, you know, Brian Schott is not up for re-election for, uh, I think, four years. So, uh, you know, it's up to the people right. of Hawaii to, to change that, uh, to change that, uh, that seat if, 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 if they've got a candidate that can unseat him. You? <laughs> well, I'm, I've signed on for this job, so um, I, I, let's, oh. let's uh, get get behind me and push on that one, and then uh, you know, that's, I don't have aspirations beyond that. So, ah, well, I wish you did. <laughs> I, I I was I was stunned that Hawaii had so many Democrats. You know, I was like, why? I don't understand. <laughs> But, yeah, there's a lot of them. There's Hiram Fong is a Republican, but he was 59 to 77, so, in the years. And then it went to a Democrat, and then Maisie Hirano is a Democrat. And it's like, what the heck gives here? So, that's okay. It's a very blue state. Blue state? Yeah, that's right. Oh, I have several senators of the Democrat Party across the nation that mail me stuff. I'm just like, how did you write email? 
I know I have signed some overall things that usually, and I have called a few people, but I I didn't think that. Oh well, it, I guess they just search you out and search you down. And say, but what I can't get is I have never supported them. I have money asked of me from different Democrats in the Democrat Party, and I'm just like. What do you, what, what is it you don't get through your head that I'm not supporting you? So, I don't know. You, you well, start great. signing things, I guess, um, you know, that it just, it goes from there. So just be careful. <laughs> All right, well, good luck with your um Thank you your, so much. Uh, run. You bet. Mahalo. All right. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, 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 you know, after the primary, you, you get get through the primary and then, uh, you know, get to the gubernatorial race and, you know, win that and move forward. Uh, hopefully you won't pull a, a Matt Bevin and be so hard to get a hold of. No. But <laughs> we had Matt Bevin, who's, who's, now, who's now the – and we're going to bring in real real quick Dr. Tolber, but I, I pine about this all the time. I, I say kind of half jest, half tongue-in-cheek, but there's another half of me that's like, really? Because when when Matt Bevin was running for governor of Kentucky – uh, he, he was on the show like three times, I guess. And then and then also when he was running against Mitch McConnell, he was on as well. But let me tell you, now that he's governor, can't get a hold of <laughs> I get a hold of his gatekeeper, his, his campaign, uh, not campaign, but his communications director. But uh, beyond that, uh, can't get a hold of him. Let's go ahead and, uh, let's go ahead and bring back the yeah, forward. Thank you very signing, much. You're inciting a bunch of petitions. <laughs> Okay, but we'll back that because I see it's going down. Let's get Dr. Tobert line. Dr. Tobert, thanks for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Good. And there are a couple questions. Just give a little background. I'm a doctor of education. I'm a pastor. I'm a retired master sergeant, and I'm running for the U.S. Senate, Florida. So we're going to pick up the first question: Is that you were talking about the education in Finland? And if you pull up the education in Finland and ask how does it compare to Common Core, you're going to find it's a duplication. So this has been a democratic stand, and I am no party affiliated. So the question is, do you understand the detriment of being and having Common Core as your education? That's number one. Number two, the Department of Education belongs to the state and the federal government, are you going to be willing to force the federal government out of your education system? And number three, what is your position on DACA? Um, well, first of all, that's a, that's a long question in, in many parts, so let's, uh, let's try to chip away at it one at a time. Uh, Common Core, um, which you know is a, is a standard, obviously, that has been incorporated through uh, no child left behind, and it's a carry-through. Um, if you talk to educators at the field level, in other words, the, the teachers are actually instructing in the classroom. You know, Common Core math—it um, just—it it really is a convoluted thought process and a learning process, but it is—it is there. And then Common Core, with regards to English and, uh, and the other disciplines within writing, um, really much easier to, to, to understand. So it really comes down to the testing aspect of Common Core. So. That's why I believe in empowering schools with regards to here at the delivery of education. This is where you need to be. In other words, this is the, 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 the metric by which we need you to meet. Don't care how you get there, 
but in terms of the oversight and the, and the measurement and, you know, the, the, the measurement of student achievement, this is where you need to be. And, and, and that's refreshing. That's what Finland does, by the way, whether or not they mimic Common Core or not. It's just they give a lot of autonomy to each of the schools. The second question, if I may, um, or the second part of your question, uh, we are a state-run system. So, you know, like I said, if I was privileged to uh, gain the confidence of the vote of Hawaii, uh, I, as the governor, that's where the buck stops. I am d directly responsible and have, um, you know, I am culpable for that delivery of education. With the passage of the Every Student Succeeds Act uh, two years ago, of which each state was responsible to submit to the feds their blueprint with regards to how to deliver that, uh, that really does limit the federal engagement or the federal involvement with how we're going to deliver education. So that's a step forward with regard to keeping the federal government out of state systems. So I think there's more work to do there. You're always going to have some federal involvement just because of the titled monies that have to come into each department and each state's Department of Education. So you're never going to quite get away from that. Um, and with regard to DACA, I'm assuming you mean DACA? Correct. Yeah, I mean, not, not a big problem here in Hawaii. Um, we do have a huge component of our K-12 population that are English language learners. Um, but so the DACA issue with regard to what is nationally is not necessarily a Hawaii problem, but I understand for a state perhaps like Arizona or California or some of the eastern states that have had an influx uh, of immigration, it, it is an issue uh, in that it does absorb some of those resources. and. And that's a, uh, that's a slippery slope. Yeah, and, and on the DACA program, which was initiated and took away the sovereign state rights, and the fact that you're one of the sovereign states, and there is a violation of the Tenth Amendment under DACA because it's the state right to determine who comes and who goes out of the state, don't you believe that the entire DACA program should have never been initiated? Well, yeah, that's a personal belief of mine. But, again, uh, the nation's problems aren't necessarily Hawaii's. I certainly have an opinion on, on DACA as it relates to the national fabric of things. But uh, I'm, I'm really running to uh, the issues that really affect Hawaii right now, and, and DACA isn't really one I, I understand that, and unfortunately, Hawaii is going to be another Puerto Rico, and eventually they're going to become a state, and they're going to have an issue, and there's going to be other states, and you're going to have members of your community, and you never know when the federal government oversteps their boundaries and says, we're going to set up a city in Hawaii like they're doing in Florida and other states which should not be involved in DACA either. So it's an issue that every governor who has two senators that end up in uh, Washington, D.C. should be educating their own public on. Absolutely. I agree with you. All right, Robert. That's all I'm going to say for tonight so far. Okay. And then we'll uh, bring in our roundtable discussion for our other topics for this evening. Uh, and so, uh, speaking of bringing things back, I'll, I have a few more questions. Then, kind of turning things back around with some of our previous questions, kind of you know get some elaboration uh, for the remaining time that we're we're here. And if we have more time, uh, we'll bring other folks back in. But if not, uh, yeah, I pr appreciate the, your input. 
and you know, apologize. Uh, you know, we we couldn't get more time, but we do have two more hours left to show after this one. Uh, so we'll get uh, to our other topics. But uh, speaking of things that you know are happening nationally that could really have an effect on uh, Hawaii is the event, and this actually ties into what uh, we were talking about earlier uh, with uh, your current governor. Is that you know with the the ballistic missile alert? Is that what's going on? What happened recently with Trump's uh, Trump's visit to North Korea and Kim Jong Un? Uh, does that give you uh, perhaps more you know confidence that you know a, a true alert uh, of a nuclear weapon uh, from North Korea you know could be averted you know or not happen? because of the, the talks and negotiations uh, that's happened there recently? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if, if you, you know, as, as a former Marine, um, you know, the Korean Peninsula is, uh, you know, it's part of our legacy. Um, if you, you know, look up the, the Frozen Chosen, I mean, that's part of Marine Corps lore. But, you know, since, 19, you know, the armistice was signed in 1953, that's been a peninsula that's been at war since 1953. I mean, the 38th parallel obviously divides the north and the south. And, um, you know, the tension that is always uh, in your face whenever you visit the peninsula, uh, for that to have the potential to go away, um, that's an East Germany, West Germany type of event. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's from a stability in the region standpoint, that, that's a huge, huge, um, you know, I, I think step forward with regards to any sort of, uh, you know, missile defense or, you know, a threat of a missile defense, you know, you've got a lot of large economies that, that, that are part of the Pacific Rim or part of the Pacific 43 uh, nations, uh, give or take. You've got 52% of the globe that makes up the Pacific and the Pacific Command. The United States Pacific Command, which I believe now is called the Indo-Pacific Command as of recently, uh, is headquartered right here in Hawaii with all of its uh, you know, service components right here, you know, the Pacific Fleet, the Marine Forces Pacific, the U.S. Army Pacific, and U.S. Air Forces Pacific. So, and then we've got, uh, obviously, uh, its components in uh, both Korea and Japan. So, with regards to stability in the region, to keep North Korea in check with regards to some of that, um, you know, belligerent behavior, I guess I'd call it, um, I'm confident that, you know, that that, that is always going to be well managed. Um, but, if there is a, uh, a possibility of reunification or at least peace on the peninsula for the first time since 1953, I think that's great not only for Korea, I think it's great for the Pacific uh, region, and I think it's great for the United States. And, and two more quick, and we only got five minutes. Uh, two things. One, is that, and this is on, on education, we've talked about this a couple times on the show, is that, you know, and, and actually I think this goes with education, in my opinion, infrastructure is one thing I meant, uh, mentioned on a couple shows uh, with Trump saying, you know, we should put more money in our infrastructure. And I think what perhaps, at least as an idea for infrastructure, is uh, kind of using the analogy where with protecting our schools, the way we protect our grocery stores like uh, uh, Biggs or stuff like that where they have – a uh, and this could create jobs as well, but you know they have what's called a loss prevention. Well, you know for the merchandise, well, how about you know setting up systems inside schools such as a loss prevention where they have cameras and they have security. I mean, and, I mean, out the, the grocery store work that they, they sold clothes and other things in there, electronics. 
they actually had people who would find people shoplifting and they'd apprehend them and wait till the police came and, you know, took them away. But kind of in that same vein, those kind of systems being set up in schools, there's your infrastructure. You're protecting your children, maybe put uh, retired officers or military in there, yes, and yes, carrying guns, in my belief, in my opinion, uh, to guard the children and have those cameras. What's your thoughts on something like that? Yeah, so, I mean, I was the assistant superintendent for uh, Office of School Facilities and Support Services for, again, the Department of Education here in Hawaii, again, the 10th largest district in the country, so school security and safety fell under my purview. Um, so uh, I've looked at all of these measures. Hawaii school systems are a little different. We do have school resource officers in uh, some of our outer island schools, which is basically police on campus, if, if, if you will, for the lack of a better term. But we're also, uh, we practice a lot of, uh, you know, proactive measures with regards to how do we keep our campuses safe. Our campuses, if you have never been to Hawaii, are, are very open. Um, they're porous, I guess would be the word I would use. So if you would, um, you know, look at some of the mainland campuses, for instance, that have a conventional front door and back door and a, and a, a perimeter fence, um, those are, that's not so in the campuses in Hawaii, really. It's... Um, it, it's very easy to infiltrate. So we put the systems or the checks and balances in place that that really does monitor that. Um, Hawaii is also different in that, you know, believe it or not, we do kind of live our lives with that spirit of aloha where, you know, we are a very trusting culture. We have uh, faith in people. Everyone's, you know, very gregarious towards, towards one another. But we're also, you know, we keep an eye out for what doesn't look right and then challenge that. So um, there are within our high schools or schools that we would consider at risk. Um, you know, we do have those security monitoring systems that, that any other, you know, 21st century school would, would have just based on the culture that we're living in nationally. So um, I think there's a lot of other issues with regards to infrastructure that might need to be addressed first. I personally believe that we've got the school security one covered for now. Um, but we can always do better. And last question, then you, gotta, you have to go, but you're, you're of course, always welcome. We always uh, offer and welcome folks to stay if they like. But to, uh, I, I read you wrote a book uh, <laughs> about uh, <laughs> I, I Inside Marine One. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's really just a, a book that I wrote. Uh, I think it came out in 2015, and it really uh, – the arc of the story, don't let the, the title um, sway you too, too much. So people think it's an inside uh, or tell all, and it's not. The arc of the story is, is my experience and how did a, a knucklehead kid from Boston, Massachusetts, end up in the cockpit of one of the most recognizable aircraft on the planet. And, uh, and it, it, it does chronicle um, a lot of the relationship formed with George W. Bush when I was his pilot and it's uh, it's very anecdotal. It's a fun book to read. I call it my little beach read. Um, but yeah, I was privileged to uh, spend time in that squadron as a junior officer, and then later on, 15 years later, I commanded it, and uh, it, it was a privilege to do that. It was probably one of the highlights of of my career. And um, I just told the story of uh, you know how, like I said, a young kid who had a vision of wanting to fly ended up uh, getting there and then entered a career that uh, would take him into, uh, you know, that cockpit. 
You know, that's, not, that's pretty cool. I see we are just about at the top of the hour, so uh, I do like to use that time to uh, give you an opportunity, if you like, uh, on any uh, closing comments or anything else you'd like to uh, convey to the audience uh, before you go. You go. As I said, you know, again, you're welcome to stay, but I know how your calendar and schedules can be. Uh, just uh, when you get that governorship, uh, don't don't forget about us, and hopefully we'll be able to get you on the show. Well, uh, but anyway, what other uh, any party comments that you might have uh, tonight? Anything you want to well, thank, to the audience? No, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, and, and since this was my my first blog experience uh, as a candidate, uh, that will you'll always remain. You'll be my first, Robert. So there'll always be a special place oh, in my heart. You. So, um, you know. I'm an optimist, so uh, you know when when that does happen, I, I promise I, I won't uh, I won't be a Governor Bevan on you. But I uh, also uh, <laughs> thank you, you know, I also want to thank your listeners uh, for putting up with me for an hour, so that can get the, I'm sure tedious. But it really is uh, you know if you want to change the system, you have to be engaged. It's part of the democracy, and like I said, I quoted the League of Women Voters before that you know to be engaged or to make a democracy work, you have to. You have to be that change, and if you're not satisfied with the status quo, and especially when you start looking at a cost of living in an economy and a taxation such that we have here in Hawaii, and you just sit back with your, your hands in your pocket, well, then then you're an advocate of that. So I couldn't sit by and allow that to happen anymore. I did engage. Um, I'm under no grand illusion that this is going to be an easy uh, easy fight, but uh, I'm in it, and uh, I plan on uh, doing my level best for the team that I've got to win it. And um, anybody out there that has any friends in Hawaii, tell them to register to vote. Um, get on my website, and, uh, you know, I, I, am, I will answer any question that uh, anyone poses to me. I hope I can do a, a succinct job in doing that, and I'm not afraid of uh, any topic. Definitely really appreciate it. Uh, and even prior, you know, perhaps prior to uh, – uh, the primary, you know, we can have you on and you know, kind of get an update on how things are going. Would love to do it. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much, uh, you know, for coming in. It was uh, definitely, a, uh, you know, a pleasure to have you on. And, you know, we do look forward to uh, speak with you again. And, and best of luck. And hopefully we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have uh, hear about a celebration in, in November. I, I count on it. And uh, stay tuned, Robert. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Thank you very much. Bye-bye now. Of course, folks. uh, Bye. bye Bye-bye. Good night. And, and of course, folks, you know, I do have here on uh, the link to his website here on Blog Talk Radio on the description page. If you want to hear more about uh, uh, our our guest tonight, uh, and it's trustinggovernment.org, which, as I stated, uh, was an interesting, uh, a really interesting uh, way to put his, uh, his website it, it's, it doesn't have any kind of gives in line with what we do here at Bart's Logic. You know, he doesn't have his name in it, and a lot of folks do. But you know, it, it kind of does it kind of set me back. Like, oh yeah, trusting government because I know how distrustful uh, people are with government. And I would think, which is a great segue uh, into our topics. Uh, and one is, uh, you were hearing a lot from the left lately about comparing, you know, at least our uh, some policy, uh, or at least what they say is happening. Um, to these uh, children, of, you know, and then comparing the United States with Nazi Germany, or at least, you know, and and Trump with Hitler, which we know uh, there's not a comparison because we, I mean, we know what happened 
uh, in Nazi Germany. We know uh, the extinguishers, and none of these kids are being gassed. None of these kids are being killed, um, and that's just uh, for starters. Uh, so to say that you, you, you know, the U.S. and the, namely Donald Trump and the policies are, are Nazi-like, with, with a, lot of, a lot of the left are uh, discussing, and that's going to be our first part. And actually, I've got an article here that you can find at the Bard's Logic Political Talk website, uh, as well as uh, again, you know, still promoting uh, my campaign for getting my daughter to Germany. Not Germany, ha! Huh. Think got Germany on the mind now? Not no. When I don't think I ever wanted to go there. But anyway, to Italy. Because uh, she is Italian and other things, as you'll see on the description there. You could find uh, the link there uh, on two places now. I've got it here on the description on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, so you can uh, go there. Any any amount is appreciated. Uh, uh, will help. And then also there's one on the website on the Give page, which not only that is there, you will find other organizations uh, that we've uh, even had on the show a while back uh, on there that you can uh, help or at least you know look at as well. So definitely check out the, that give page uh, there uh, while you're watching uh, or checking out the uh, the newsroom as well for these different articles. Uh, but this article here, you know, kind of gives uh, more of a flavor of what's really going on uh, and how these kids are treated and and, and what resources uh, the United States uses uh, for these uh, illegal children. Of course, they try to make it oh it's so sad, all these kids are being treated so horribly and this and that and you know what have you, but. Uh, this article is that child border crossers have higher standard of living than 13 million impoverished American children. Okay, and of course, you know, American children uh, don't seem to matter as much, in my opinion, uh, to uh, for Democrats, uh, or especially the liberal Democrats, and even some Republicans who are afraid, you know, to, you know, to to, to bring this out. Uh, of course, you talk about kids; you got to be ultra sensitive, which I get. However, they're not, not in par, as we said earlier, about Nazi Germany. Um, but anyway, so, of course, and that's part of our – with our title tonight as well, whereas the Democrats need these illegal immigrants uh, when it comes to uh, you know, their voter base. And we'll talk more about that. But you know, here you know, it says migrant children who cross into the United States either alone or with adults have a higher standard of living – once they are put into federal care, then more than 13 million American children who are living in poverty across the country. <laughs> Excuse me. It says, in fiscal year 2017, so not long ago, folks, uh, the federal government referred nearly 41,000 unaccompanied minor border crossers to the Unaccompanied Alien Children Program, which is facilitated by the Office of Refugee Resettlement. Data provided to Breitbart News reveals that each unaccommodated or accompanied minor costs the federal government, which you know who that is, uh, us, right, about 34,660 annually. Each one is $36,660. This is higher than the standard of living per child than the roughly 13 million American children who continue to live below the poverty line. In 2016, there were about 13.2 million American children under the age of 18 living in poverty. These are U.S. children, for example, whose parents or guardians in a household of $4,500 a year, trying to feed four people. And they spend $34,500 on one. 
or actually uh, 34,660 on one. It says this annual income for an impoverished family is $10,000 less than the more than 34,500 in federal funds which are spent on each unaccompanied minor border crosser. Uh, there's a p- report uh, that the uh, American taxpayer spend about $1.4 billion a year on this. Overall, about the $1.4 billion is spent on accompanying minor workers crosses every year, which, again, the American taxpayers foot the bill for, as Breitbart News reports. Uh, most recently, Breitbart News senior editor at large, Joel Polak, revealed the uh, comfortable living conditions that unaccompanied minor border crosses are placed into by the Department of Health and Human Services. These comfortable living conditions include lodging, meals, clothing, medical care, education, recreation, counseling, and other services. So here, once again, the Democrats are screaming that they are being mistreated, of course, because of Donald Trump. And, calling, you know, of course, referencing the Nazi, which none of these children, obviously, are being put in the concentration camps. None of them are being filed into, you know, gas chambers that, you know, uh, allegation, you know, or, or, or make the illustration or whatever you want to call it um, is, is, is ridiculous. And so one of the things that's a big topic, and then I'm going to open it up to uh, the panel here. Uh, we'll start with uh, you, uh, Suzette, and Susan, Dr. Tolbert, is that and uh, we, we do def- you know, definitely have more folks in line, so push the one on your number down. Of course, we will get you into the show. And the big cry is, oh, my God, we're separating these children from their, from their parents. Well, that happens to American children every day. Divorce. You know, pe- uh, people getting killed, but that's really on count. But divorce. Foster homes where they think a parent is not uh, – taking care of their child. They'll take it away from their parents because the government thinks that they can take care of their child better than their parents. And maybe in some instances that's true. You know, when parents are abusing children or they put them in foster homes. So, or what about jail? What about when these kids, uh, parents commit crimes? What Or especially if both parents do, you know, or let's say these parents, you know, are drugging it up in the car and leaving their, their kid in the car. The parents get taken away from them. They get taken away. And in some instances, with larger families, you have brothers and sisters who are split up. This happens in America all the time. So where's the outrage? Where's the crying? Where is the, oh, my God, this policy is Nazism from the American left? It's not there. And then also one thing they're not bringing up is these people – are criminals as soon as they go over the border. They are criminals. So if American criminals who break the laws have to abide by our laws, and we separate U.S. citizen children from their parents because their uh, parents create, uh, committed a crime, how is that any different than these illegal people? They're criminals now. They cross that border illegally. They are now criminals. They broke the law. So we separate them from their, their families because it's not the children. What do we do? What are we supposed to do? Throw the kids in the jail the kid with the parents just so that they're not separated? Could you imagine what they're going to be, what they're, you know, 
what they're going to say about that. Oh, my God, we're throwing it at the children in prison. It's not their – like the DACA kids. It's not their fault. It's not their fault their parents brought them over. We should go ahead and give them citizenship. Or, you know, we should keep them here. We should educate them. We should feed them. We should do all this stuff. Or, you know, it's not their fault. They're brought in as kids. Well, wait a minute. If they're brought in as kids, well, you can't send them – you know, you, we can't send them to jail with their parents. That's inhumane. Well, what do we do? Oh, 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 I'm sorry. You committed a crime. You committed a crime, but we're not going to incarcerate you. We're just going to let you go wherever you're going to go, and we're going to pay you too because you, 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 you know, you don't have the skills to work here. So we'll put you on the government dole. Okay, you don't, you don't have, you know, don't have that. So that's what we're going to do. We're not going to throw you in jail. Oh, but wait a minute, uh, Mister Miss Citizen. Oh, that's right. You committed a crime. You smoked too much pot. You're growing weed, okay? We're going to throw you in jail. We're going to separate from your family because you grew pot. But you're an American citizen, so we're, we're going to treat you know. We, we don't. We we're, you're, besides, if you're in jail, you're not going to vote for us. We 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 want to get these people. We want to get their vote, or at least we want to. We think we're, by doing this, we're going to get hit the Hispanic vote, uh, vote, which is a growing populace in the United States. It's a, it's a growing demographic here in the United States. So let's go ahead and open it up uh, to the folks out there. I uh, do see other callers. Push one on your number dial. And let's go ahead and we'll start off with your commentary on that, Suzette. And then we've got yourself, Susan, and Dr. Tolbert. And anyone else you'd like to, uh, to chime in on that, push the one number dial. We'll get you in. Go ahead, Suzette. Uh, well, I want to say that all of a sudden this ramp up, it's a distraction, you know, from other things that are going on as far as the, the report that had come out and the committee hearings. And, of course, in the committee hearings, um, because of the OIG report that came out, there, everyone on the Democratic side or Dem- Democrat side on the dais there is downplaying it, um, the report that is, and speaking out about the children and blaming Trump. And, of course, some of them may understand or realize that um, this was also a policy under Obama. Um, in fact, what they had done with the children or with the um, immigrants or illegal immigrants back then was if the uh, parent had come with the child, if it was a father and a child, then um, the father would be arrested or and then the, separated from the child, and they would take the father and drop the father off with nothing except for what he had come over with, which was nothing, <laughs> and drop him off along the border somewhere. And, um, and the child there would either remain there um, or be also, you know, deported. And so the plan now is slightly different, but it was worse back then. And there were even senators that had no idea or claimed they had no idea, like my senator, Diane Feinstein. She said, I had no idea. I don't know why. I don't know about it, or I didn't know that this occurred under uh, President Obama, but I really didn't know much about it. So I didn't really get into all the details about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's her excuse for not advocating during uh, Obama years. I just really get upset um, at the fact that people have no idea what they're talking about when they start clamoring and jumping up and down and screaming. DHS had just re- released a new video and new photos um, showing what the facility looks like for the children. And it doesn't look anything like the cages. That area and the photos that they had taken is the intake area. And then the children go to a different facility. And that's only if 
there's um they've been found not to be the parent of those children and so if you're not the parent and you've got a kid with you um what's going on you know so yeah you're going to go over here and honey you're going to come over here with us <laughs> but um yeah so i don't know they need to get the real story out there mainstream media isn't going to do it and the elections are coming up so that's why the big fuss Back to you, Robert. Oh yeah, and they're gonna and they're gonna try to use this. And, and again, as they were trying to, you know, and I even had a dear friend who, I mean, he's a smart guy, professor. I haven't talked to him, gosh, in a long time because I, I was uh, supporting Trump, he was supporting Hillary, and him and his uh, wife pretty much stopped being my friend because they voted for Trump. Unbelievable, uh, but oh, true. Um, but you know, I mean, I mean, he was even trying to make comparisons. Uh, with 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 Trump and, and which you know and uh, and Hitler, which is which is unbelievable. And then uh, someone else, you know, a Facebook friend, I've bantered back and forth with, which I, I haven't pretty much shut her down. I'm just like, you know, she was you know trying to make those other uh, comparisons as well. And so of course that's BS. And, and you make a point. They're, they're trying to find anything because look, they have nothing to stand on when it comes to the you know the first of the blue wave the blue wave well the blue wave may not be happening you know let's let's hope let's hope the people you know because if that that happens you know there goes the the populist agenda that the people got together for and, and voted for Trump anyway um right. so, so yeah they're, they're definitely they're, you know they can go to DHS and see what the past policies were compared to the policies today so it's just they just don't want to look at it you know Remain in denial. Well, 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 just, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, certainly. And then just like Guantanamo Bay, I mean, you know, all this hoopla about that. Obama never closed it, you know. Um, and so let's go. Uh, let's go ahead and go over to you, uh, Susan. Uh, your thoughts on that? Um, on the border situation with the kids. Yeah. Um, yes. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm gonna say one thing. Apparently, from what I read on several places. They, the the parents are bringing the kids to the border and dropping them off and shoving them over. They're, you know, they know they can't there, but they're just, I won't say tossing them across. You know what I mean. Getting them to go across right. somehow. And some of them are child smugglers. Some are pedophiles. There's all kinds of weirdos and creeps involved in this. So that's something nobody's looking at, and it's it's kind of sad, really. But it shows they don't really care about these children. They really don't. I don't. I mean, the most of the Democrats, although there's Republicans involved too that are now. But um, yeah, the kids are suffering. They've always been pawns in war and in. Uh, different situations and life is cheap in Mexico you know and a lot of countries and the kids are the usually you know like like say over in the Islamic countries the kids are used as shields even you know a strap a bomb to them and different things those kids don't know any better they're just a, a useful tool they wail and whine afterwards. Well, why did they, they lost the child? Because they did what they did. And it's very, very sad that children, that life is so, especially with kids and with 
well, and women next, as far as that goes. Life is so cheap. But I don't know what we can do about it, short of, you know, just saying it and helping things change. I, I think with Democrats, well, people that are for dem- abortion for any reason, other than the ones I, you know that I'm okay for it, you know, like incest and stuff, um, that life is disposable also. So it's just a, it's a circus. It's just a circus all the time, it seems like. So that's my thought on it. Well, and here's a real quick, a real quick article here, and then uh, Dr. Strobel will get you in because this, uh, you know, points with what, uh, what you were saying. Uh, is that is that it says you know sources and, and, and you, you 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 know brought up to uh, it says sources illegal uh, illegals increasingly use other people's children to claim asylum. Uh, illegal immigrants are increasingly posing with children who are not their own in order to gain expedited entry into U.S. Multiple sources tell the, tell the Daily Caller. The law enforcement. There's some background noise going on on someone's mic. Just the law enforcement uh, source directly involved in apprehension told the Daily Caller officers are increasingly encountering family units in quotes of adult males with children of various ages. When law enforcement attempts to debrief the adult males of children, they often cannot answer even the most basic questions about their supposed children. Uh, the children are rarely appear to know details of their apparent fathers. The law enforcement source cast doubt on the asylum, claiming that many of the illegal immigrants appear to parent, pointing out that the vast majority of those detained are actively trying to evade authorities. Only upon their detention do they offer the exact same credible fear of returning home, most of whom say the phrase in the exact same script away. And I thought... I I think I read somebody that actually had um, a script in their pocket. Uh, the script and manner of answers indicated to authorities that these illegal immigrants have been coached by human trafficking organizations. The Department of Homeland Security official confirmed the widespread practice. That official lamented that DHS currently does not keep track of the specific number of adult males posing as parents. DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen offered a glimpse into the problem Monday morning. From October 2017 to this February, we have seen a staggering 350% increase in illegal aliens fraudulently using children to pose as family units to gain entry into the country, Nielsen revealed. A DHN spokesman explained to the D.C. how the statistic was derived, noting that there were 46 documented cases of fraud in fiscal year 2017 with 119 in fiscal 2018 alone which predates the current crisis on the border. Caretakers on the ground have seen the same phenomenon with Sister Normal Pimentel, who works at Children's Seltzer in South Texas, telling the L.A. Times, one thing we have seen a lot of are people coming with children who are not theirs. A law enforcement store also described the number of troubling encounters with illegal immigrants of Mexican nationals posing as citizens from the other non-congruous or continuous countries in order to stymie authorities uh, and to deter deportation. So yeah, so that you know, so they're talking about that happening as well. Um, but of course, we're evil Nazis, you know. There. So what, what's your take on that, Doctor Tolbert? I'm going to cover a couple things on it. First thing I want to start out is that we're not a democracy; we are a republic and a federalism. So anyone that does not understand that what a democracy is versus a republic and is 
and a sovereign state. So I just wanted to clear up a comment made by your guest a while ago. But let's get into the fact that four years ago, the Deferred Action for Children and Arrivals program under Obama hid 50,000 people. And the statistical data that you're reading of the increase is not including what was hidden in the FBI and Homeland Security actually hid the numbers that Obama was actually putting in and bringing in and hiding through the DACA program. This is the most recent article. They also came out with the fact under the DACA program there were nearly 60,000 immigrants that were allowed in the program that were actual criminals and that were 10 were actually accused uh, of murder and were allowed to stay under the DACA program. So when we bring in the DACA or the Deferred Action Program and you're talking 2017, the Democratic Party is trying to show that the lack of border security by President Trump has increased the percentage of individuals coming in, where in fact the increase was four years ago under Obama. So they're changing statistical data by hiding information through the FBI and Homeland Security and is now being found under the tracing of the program that they have found using weapons to trace to Mexico, children that were being smuggled in, and how Obama was allowing this to happen under the program to allow Islam and other individuals to invade and come in the United States. The entire DACA program is actually unconstitutional. We wrote a 91-page article and presented it to the president two months ago to include the OAS and the DACA program and how under the rules of law in the Constitution and the sovereign states, the DACA program should never have been initiated under an, an executive order and how Congress has failed to stand up and defend the Constitution by allowing the executive branch to be responsible or to be involved in immigration. There was a lawsuit, and we presented the lawsuit in several of our articles, where the Supreme Court ruled against Arizona as far as paying for the asylum and taking care of the children because it was a state responsibility. There have been individuals that had said that immigration falls under the clauses of the Constitution, and that's a falsified statement. The clarity of immigration has not been clarified by the Constitution. Only naturalization has been, and the rights of a state has been violated by the state not taking charge of their own programs of immigration and the fact that under naturalization, you have to be a legal resident of a state for seven years under the acts that started in the 1800s that were redone in 1952 under Reagan and then redone again in 1990. All these programs and constitutions, which are statues, which are being attached and being called part of the Constitution, are complete violation of the 10th and the 9th Amendment, Robert. Having said that, yeah, well, I sent you the article showing 
that there are $760 per day being spent on each illegal immigrant. And I sent you the complete database on the cost and the number and the problem we're having with our own American citizen children on the welfare programs, the homeless programs, the foster care programs. We, in fact, took these programs and presented it to the president to counteract the cost of $270,000 per person being spent, much outlining greater numbers that are being reported by the press. So, I mean, do you think that that whole, that whole deal, and that's another thing, I think they, they uh, the media is who I'm talking about when I say they, and, the, you know, the Democrats, are, you know, are, are realizing this, and that's why I think they're trying to, uh, you know, turn things around and, and oh, 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 that's not working. So now we need to make this about the children and, you know, to, to, to try to force along. Would you agree with that? No, I absolutely do. This has been a Democratic program from the very beginning. It's the more and higher numbers of people you get into South America that will support socialism which is the problem with Common Core, regardless what anybody wants to say about it. It's the same problem with illegal immigrants coming in and breaking the laws. We did submit a program called Virtual Reality Visa on how to handle this by having a sponsorship of individuals for a two-year probation that you had to have sponsors that would be allowed to take and redirect. That would not be the responsibility of the federal government of spending their own money as far as education or health. If an individual came in and was incarcerated, and you're entirely correct, and the children were then put in a home or placed in other controlled facilities, we would have a cost far less than what we're doing with the illegal immigrants and their children. And it's not that I'm that I am for or against a child being abused or being put into a confinement center. It's about the legality of the parents and the countries. We gotta go back into Venezuela right now, who people are dying and starving and cannot get food or nothing. And we we put together the OAS and the OAS, the Organization of American States, we actually signed a Republican who has no idea what's going on, who is Spanish, and the OAS, which is the Spanish states, have not stood up against the DAC. They have not stood up for the DACA. They have not stood up for, for the problems going on in the countries of people coming in. So our representative of the OAS ambassador is totally unable to even help or take care of this problem. This problem is an OAS problem, the Organization of American States. It is not a problem of the federal government of the United States. Why isn't the OAS, the Organization of American States, which is all of the South American countries, the United States of America, Mexico and Canada, taking charge and correcting this problem? Why are we in the federal government, who is not supposed to be responsible Spending money and taking care of a problem, Robert. Well, and, and again, it's uh, and, and here here's the thing: the Democrats, as we stated earlier, they want you know they're they're losing their base, and they really lost it in 2016 
I mean, much to their shock. I mean, they thought, I mean, they really thought Hillary Clinton was going to win uh, in 2016. Uh, you know, you know, part of the, the black vote's gone more over towards Trump and even more uh, blacks are becoming, you know, Republicans or other parties other than the Democrats. So they're losing that. You know, there's a lot of young folks out there who are, you know, you know, becoming disenfranchised, you know, disinterested. I don't want to say disenfranchised, but disinterested in in the Democrat Party uh, because you know they're going to they're, they're going to become more uh, financially independent and, and see what's going on there. Seeing where they perhaps even seeing where they've worked hard, you know, through school and everything of that nature, and then a lot of things just being you know handed to uh, these illegal immigration. So they're they're losing a lot of their their former support. Okay, and and they're looking for you know and, and Trump you know said that as well as. You know, they're looking for, a, you know, a new voter base. And unfortunately, there's, you know, a lot of Republicans who are going to be weak and they're just, you know, and they're just, you know, they're going to kind of file in line, uh, file in line with them. And, uh, we, we, you know, continue on this. we got John on the line. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring John in. Thank you very much, John, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm doing fine. Thank you, Robert. You're a great show. And I appreciate everybody's input and Definitely, man. When you brought after the first hour, whenever the guest Ray Larue left, you bringing up all that information and data and stuff. That was good stuff. You know, the sad part that struck me today, and this kind of piggybacks on what um, Dr. Tolbert was saying, is the first thing I heard today, whenever President signed that executive order, is here's another trick that the Washington elite have used the media and the Democrats to manipulate President Trump to fall into the same trap as all the other presidents of disrespecting the rule of law. And now you've got courts that are being trumped up with lawsuits, just like the same thing on the election. Um, whenever they were, he got that committee, I forget what the, the name of it was, the talking about the election and whether there was fraud in the election. They were doing a committee, you know. Well, there were so many people that threw lawsuits against that thing that Donald Trump disbanded the doggone commission, the committee. So, therefore, there was no way for them to move any further on it. And I'm sure Kelly or Jim Condit Jr. can feed us in better on that and how that's really going nowhere now. So basically, they manipulated Trump into continuing to break the law and to not reinforce the rule of law, because now he's just basically continuing to pull the same kind of executive order nonsense that brought DACA anyway. So it, it's, it's, it really is something that he should have held the Congress' feet to the fire on and educate the public. That's the part of the problem, just like Karen Schoen speaks every Tuesday night on American Statesman, Blog Talk Radio, American Statesman, every Tuesday night. She has educational issues that come up about these things, and she drills it to, I mean, all the time. We need to figure out how to educate the masses, even myself. I'm still on the road to education, and we have to help everybody come together on understanding how this system is supposed to work. And Trump lost an opportunity, and he should have done it and drilled it home to the rest of Americans, you know, so we all can get on the same page. But, no, he caved in to the uh, Washington establishment people. Now we're going to continue with the 
disarray and, and delusion of what we're living under. Now, the other aspect that I appreciate you pointing out, too, is the money things. Well, all these lawsuits that are coming forth now on just this executive order that he just put forth are basically people that have been uh, under some form of um, detained situation where, you know, CPS, what is it, Child Protective Services or whatnot took their kid, or, you know, they're in jail for, like you were saying, for weed or whatnot. Well, all these people are going to get remedy, or are they, is it going to just further have another psychological effect on people believing this system is rigged, and now we're really going to have to fight even harder because, you know, there's no rule of law anymore. And that's why I've been bringing up the last few weeks I'm concerned about what this group of elitist mentality rulers are doing to the psyche of humanity, especially my fellow Americans, because the more we realize the system is rigged and that we don't really have an opportunity to get a just system where we all are actually truly, you know, of the people, by the poor people, for the people, equal justice, all with freedom, liberty, and independence, and rights of pursuit of happiness, then you end up Looking at it from the standpoint that our freedom fighters did. Hello, we got some background noise. Somebody's listening to their computer with their microphone on. So either mute your microphone on your phone while you listen to the computer or mute your computer while you listen on the phone. That way it'll get rid of that black background noise. So anyway, kind of broke up my train of thought. But the other aspect that I want to point out, too, is that Laws that are being passed through Congress right now, and Trump's talking about, oh, Chrysler's coming back and all these companies coming back to America. Yeah, but are they actually coming back as Americans and having their headquarters in America? Or are they multinational corporations where they actually are value extraction of America and taking the profits elsewhere? So they're buying America out from under us, and Trump doesn't even realize it because as long as they have control in being able to manipulate our Congress and senators, they continue to pass the rules and laws and stuff in our local areas and stuff that makes the prices go up. Look around. You can see it. Groceries are costing more. The cost of gas and different things are going up. They raise the fees on stuff. So any of that kickback of that money that came in from a tax, you know, uh, cut or tax rate cut, you now are paying it out to the big companies based on the inflation of the product, the price of the products and whatnot. And those companies manipulate the rules and stuff to the point that a lot of these people that are living under $40,000 a year, if they're not able to keep things together, then they end up in some kind of hardship, bankruptcy or whatnot. Then they end up have, losing their house to the state, and then the bigwigs get to buy it for cheap. And so, therefore, foreign entities are being able to invest in America, and they're buying up all this cheap property all around America because a certain number of people are going bankrupt and not able to pay their bills. And that's why they're ending up on the streets like in San Francisco and Chicago and L.A. and um, Sacramento and different places and, you know, defecating on the sidewalk and all that stuff. We have to look out for America in its holistic standpoint, not just piecemeal it here and there. And I appreciate all the piecemeal ideas that we look at, but we have to keep in mind the totality of the holistic aspect of how it's running us down in the hole. And we're going to 
lose our country in different means, all while we're saying, oh, great, uh, you know, we got the lowest uh, unemployment rate in the history of America now, and we got more people, you know, working than ever before. Well, that's naturally because we got more people in America because we've just flooded America for the last 30 years with more foreigners, but we still have the same amount of, uh, I mean, it's... Uh, more number of people on the public dole and receiving social uh, uh, services from our country and more people trying to live on less than we've ever had either, too, that it's stressing a lot of families, and it just makes it harder and harder. So the big wigs are buying us out in other means while we're distracted with all this other stuff, thinking, oh, they keep saying everything's better. Well, it doesn't mean it actually is. Uh, thank you for the opportunity and appreciate the hard work everybody's doing to keep it up. Let's all make sure and get in touch with our congressmen and our senators and try to convince them that they're going to have to work with us by mutual assent. You know, Trump talks about reciprocal trade with all these foreign countries. Well, where's the reciprocity of governing between we the people? See, he's still acting like a bully, even though he's better than, you know, Hillary Clinton. It doesn't mean he's upholding the Constitution or the will of we the people. He's forgot the forgotten man, even though he says he's, he hasn't. He actually has. He's abandoned the forgotten man. He just panders to us. But anyway, back to you, Robert. Thank you for this time. I'm John. Oh, you're welcome. Is, is John there? Yes, ma'am. Uh, I always like what you say. Appreciate you. This is Susan. Um, I do disagree with you on one thing, sort of. Um, you mentioned all the presidents or have, like him, abandoned what they should be doing. But mm, one man did stand against the foe, and he was assassinated. And you know who he was, President John F. Kennedy. And that's what happens when you really dig your feet in. Uh, I mean, they went and got Robert Kennedy. And so, you know, they're not, and George Wallace, they're not afraid to take somebody out. And maybe Trump well, knows that, and he's doing the best. Well, if this tells you anything, well, this tells you anything, uh, let, let me get, uh, let me, um, now, you know, I have to look to the validity of this article, because I've never heard of uh, Neon Nettle, and we're going to get Kelly in, uh, Kelly into the show. Um but I've got an article. I won't read. It. I'm just going to give the uh, kind of as a teaser. Um, then we'll we'll get to it. Um, is again. I mean, I don't. I have to. But it went. You know, we'll, we'll see. But it says here, FBI agent who exposed Hillary Clinton's cover up found dead. FBI special agent David Rayner murdered with his own gun. Uh, this is uh, June 18th. It says uh, an FBI special agent who was anticipated who was anticipated to expose the extent of Clinton and Obama malpractice and corruption in the Operation Fast and Furious cover-up before a U.S. federal jury has been found dead at its home. The FBI official's wife was also found dead at the scene, with the couple both being murdered using the 52-year-old gun's own, uh, agent's own gun. Special Agent David Rayner was stabbed multiple times and shot twice with his own weapon, according to a local media support. Reno's tragic death comes just one day before he was due to testify before U.S. Uh, grand jury, and it's got links to other things, so maybe we'll look more about it. Um, it says, uh, 
Crenshaw, who was widely expected to testify that Hillary Clinton acted illegally to protect the Obama administration crimes while covering up the Fast and Furious scandal. Uh, Rayner's wife, Donna Fisher, was also found dead at the scene. An autopsy will be completed to determine the exact cause of death, according to police. According to the Baltimore Sun, authorities who are offering a $215,000 reward for tips in Suter's killing have struggled to understand what happened. The detective was shot with his own gun, which was found at the scene. Two other shots were fired from the gun, and Davis said there were signs of a brief struggle. Special agents Rayner's suspicious death as the latest in a sequence of disturbing deaths in Baltimore connected to the Clinton-Obama cover-up of the Operation Fast and Furious. When President Trump took power, the U.S. Justice Department opened up another investigation into Operation Fast and Furious as it pertained to the Baltimore Police Department and and paneled a U.S. federal grand jury. Uh, One of the main witnesses was Detective Sean Souter, an 18-year-old veteran of the FBI. However, Detective Souter was gunned down in November in eerily similar circumstances to Special Agent Raynor, also one day before he could testify. Special Agent Raydor was leading U.S. Deputy Attorney Rod, uh, Ge- General Rod Rosenstein and FBI Director Christopher Ray's investigation into the murder of Detective Sean Souter, uh, who he believed was silenced before he could testify that the Obama administration was criminally complicit in allowing guns to flow into the hands of criminals on the Mexican border. Um, and then it, it goes on, to, uh, and we can you know, read more about that. But let's go ahead and uh, bring in Kelly. Uh, thank you very much, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, good. Well, I like to start with a joke or a tease. And, uh, well, Suzette, Suzette, are you still there? Is she still there? No? Okay. Sorry about that. I well, have my mic on mute. Hello. <laughs> hello. Okay. Okay. You mentioned your Senator Feinstein, right? Mm-hmm. Earlier? Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to blame it on – we're going to blame – since she's your she's senator, your. not mine. Since she's yours, guess what? <laughs> we get to blame all the wackiness she does on you. Can't you control your senator? Can't you do something? I mean, Dr. Um, Salary. <laughs> she's mentally ill. Well, then if she's yours, then if she's mentally ill and your senator, then put her in the psych ward. <laughs> Yeah. So, you would think uh, she would know who was coming across our border. She's a senator, for God's sake! Oh my goodness! Oh, we're going to get to that a little bit later um, about the illegals voting many times and getting all sorts of welfare checks. But um, let's see. So I'm sorry I missed last week. I was with my family, seeing my mother in Iowa and my siblings, and it was fun, good times. And I got to say. To Iowa folk, even Nebraska folk, I'm from California, which means I've escaped. And uh, <laughs> and some Iowa folk kind of, you know, kind of chuckle slightly. They didn't quite get it. You know, the person who busted up laughing at this, a former Californian. She was from. She of lived course. in L.A., Nebraska to L.A. and back. When I told her that, she busted up laughing. She got it. <laughs> so, yes. So it was fun to say in this. My sister said, "You know, I don't think people think are, th- are thinking that's very funny." And I said, "I sure do. I'm from California, which means I've escaped." Anyway, <laughs> so Feinstein, <clears throat> Suzette, <Susette's> senator. <clears throat> anyway, 
If you want a doctor referral, like a psychotic or psych, no, psychiatric. There you go, psychotic, psychiatric. All right. Um, a referral for wait, a doctor. Wait, wait, for wait, 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 wait. You live in California too. <laughs> I just remembered. <laughs> yeah, but I escape every now and then. I go up to Oregon, also. So, <laughs> but anyway, if you need a referral to a psychologist so you can maybe commit her, then hey, there you go. Um, I have to pay my deductible for Obamacare first. <laughs> oh, darn. Oh, boy. Okay. Anyway, so I had to joke around a little bit there. Um, okay, okay. So we talk about illegals. Um, oh, these poor victims. Um, one of my highly reputable sources indicates that a lot of the pictures that started coming out on the web were actually, uh, let's see, uh, from 2015, 16, 17, before, well, you know, 2014 and 15, when the Obama administration was doing this, and Trump stepped up to the plate. No more separating families. Well, great. Why didn't Obama do that? <laughs> so these are old pictures. A lot of these are old pictures, and it's not happening as severely. And I hope Trump, smart enough to do this, he will probably. I hope Trump gets some. Good old American legal immigrants from Mexico who love this country, who can't stand illegals because, well, they went through the process to become legal. They're hardworking, and they love America. I hope you get some Spanish-speaking folk to go talk to these kids and their parents, and what do you know? We've been in here long before Trump put us in here. Ooh, that would so backfire with the... uh, it's so backfire with the uh, Democrats. So once again, just take some time. All right. So now we go to um, people who are wondering, well, all these poor kids, they're such victims. Where's the parents? Why did the parents choose to do this if they knew this was possible? What's going on here? Well, I happen to be watching a similar analogy on YouTube. And just kind of, you know, you can watch it. Funny cat videos, you can watch funny dog videos. The bat dad videos are kind of my favorite. But And this deer popped up, a family feeding a deer. They're in the Burbs, nice clean subdivision. And, and the two sons, Ethan was the young one. He's laughing, he's giggling. and Eventually the, the doe comes and takes the bread out of his hand. And uh, by the way, I had that strange thing happen today. It's hard to believe this. I'm going to get my camera next time it happens. A deer walked up to me today and held out my hand like, hey, I don't have anything. Um, since the mountain lions haven't been hunted, the deer congregate towards the city generation to generation to get used to people. People feed them. This deer was expecting me to feed her. I mean, it was a kind of nonchalant. Kind of, okay, walked away, fine. Anyway, that's what happens when you don't allow uh, fish and game to manage wildlife by hunters. What a concept. Anyway, so this family's feeding this deer, right? Yeah, dad's coaching while he's filming the whole thing. And the little kid, finally the deer takes the bread. Happy, walk away, okay. Well, the comments below are like, oh, that dad should be thrown into jail. Child endangerment. Oh, child endangerment. Oh, he's a bad dad, bad. You know, and some people are like, look, they're tame. What's the deal? It's quite the controversy in the comments. And uh, but people are like, oh, that was so dangerous. And yes, deer can actually be dangerous. They're fun hooves. They can go right through your stomach and mess you up and kill you. In fact, deer, deer kill more people than sharks do. 
So yes, there's a potential. But wait a minute. What an analogy. Child endangerment. Dad filming his kids feeding the deer. Mexicans come over, or OTMs, other than Mexicans, Guatemala, etc. Why are we not looking at the parents? You knuckleheads. So like, let's see. Let's see. What if I go to Mexico illegally and they find out? I think they're going to possibly put me in jail. What's going to happen to my son? Yeah, I don't want him in a grown-up jail. They're going to have to separate. Wait, it would be my fault. Whose fault? My fault for grabbing my kid, going across Mexico border, and getting caught. Or are there nations where they are pretty strict and tough on uh, illegal immigration and throwing people on the slammer? And it's like, hello, why aren't we looking at this element here? Oh, because no matter what you say, there are some people that will hate Trump. Doesn't matter what he does. Doesn't matter if he disarms North Korea. Doesn't matter if he's getting peace with Putin. Doesn't matter if he's doing all sorts of good things and bringing about peace and commerce and economy and prosperity. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And I wonder sometimes, folks, I wonder, are we falling into a trap? Are we falling into a trap where we have to constantly defend the good a person does? I mean, look, I didn't vote for him libertarian, but, you know, hey, yeah, he's done some good things here. I was having a conversation with a lady friend, my editor, and uh, she was pretty upset that Trump should have done something, done something now. Well, bam. I mean, that was last week, our conversation. Now we've, Now he's done something. And, uh, and you know, even though she doesn't hate Trump, she's like, you know, if he wants to do the right thing, he should do something. Well, he just did. So I think she, objectively she'll come around and be like, yeah, you know, she's got a lot of left friends. And um, she, I can, I, can, I can hear the influence of repeat, 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 repeat. She shirked off an awful lot of it. I mean, my gosh, truth by democracy, yes, truth by democracy, Yes, let's vote to jump off the cliff by democracy. We have a, six, a 51% approval. Yes, let's go truth by democracy. And because the vote's 51%, let's jump off the cliff. Yeah, right. Um, so, <laughs> so, but I, I, think she, I think she'll come around. Actually, maybe she might start liking Trump, but she's at least objective. But I can hear the echoes of the repeat, 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 repeat. It's true because we say so. Why? Well, what's your references? Well, it's repeat, repeat, repeat. Well, what's your references? Repeat, repeat, repeat. Where's the Russia, 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 Marsha, Marsha, Marsha thing? I was like, come on, people. Why are we doing truth by democracy? If I did engineering by democracy, I'd lose my license years ago and I'd be in court. <laughs> Just like, I don't get these people. And are we getting suckered into having to defend this when clearly the parents are, let me guess, uh, in the wrong? <laughs> just, I'm just, yeah. All right, I'm, I'm committing the, the eighth deadly sin of hogging the microphone, so I'm going to turn it back over to you, Robert. Oh no, that's okay. You, you, um, you have your time. We got, we've got plenty of, but it's the top of the hour. I'm at, in about five minutes, so don't let your mic or your phone. Uh, Run drive its uh, charge because if you do, unfortunately, you would not be able to uh, get back into the show. And so, if we want to uh, revisit this, uh, well, we could do so, but we'll uh, bring it to our next topic, which of course is another big thing in the uh, uh, in the news. And of course, that is the IG report uh, that you know we talked about a little bit last week. 
And I, I showed concerns, obviously, that, you know, and I was actually, even after it came out, I was pretty disappointed in it. I thought there'd be more of a smoking gun or, you know, something of that nature in there. Now, the more I hear, at least on, <laughs> you know, on the right, uh, talk about it, and then the things that are coming up, and I'm getting ready to play an audio clip for you um, of uh, Trey, uh, Trey Gowdy just ripping into uh, Horowitz. Uh, and we've got some other, uh, at least one more, hopefully, uh, if not some other uh, some, uh, audio. Uh, but, you know, talking about the IJ report, Okay, I talked about the IG report, and, you know, it's all skeptical, but the more I hear about it, who knows, maybe it's going to be, uh, you know, what, what we kind of thought, you know, I mean, or at least hoping for, you know, reveal the corruption that, that's actually there. And maybe if, uh, yeah, I think if Rush Limbaugh said, well, Gowdy's back on his game or something like that, or, or maybe that was handy or something like that. Um, now, it's actually, no, we don't, it's not Trey Gowdy I have an audio uh, of, it. it's Jim Jordan. Uh, who, who really rips into them. So let's go ahead and, uh, you know, I'll keep people's mics open, so muted. So let's go ahead and start, you know, I'll, I'll start in a minute, because just a little backdrop is that remember what the report, it's basically saying that there, was, there wasn't any, uh, now where it was biased, it wasn't political biased, so, you know, that it didn't, there wasn't anything that they did to try to change anything in the election, I believe, or, or something like that. But there was, so there was no, uh, political bias uh, in there, um, and so and it didn't take any, and it didn't affect the investigations in any way, or, or spur on investigations in any way, shape, or form. Uh, so let's go ahead and you know, and again, hear the uh, keep your your mics muted, stuff like that. But let's go ahead and hear this clip uh, from Jim Jordan, and we may have uh, at least one more, not from him, but uh, pertaining to this. Uh, but again, don't let your your your, your mic drop. But let's go ahead and uh, hear this. And we'll go to commentary, uh, starting with you, Dr. Colbert. Let's go ahead and play this. About a five-minute clip. Dr. Horowitz, does Peter Strzok like the president? Um, I can only speak to what his text messages say, and they're obviously not positive comments about the president. February and March of 2016, Peter Strzok said, Trump's abysmal. Trump's an idiot. He's a bleeping idiot. Hillary should win $100 million to zero. Sounds to me like he hates the president. His text messages would certainly leave that. Is the implication. Your report says Strzok ran the Clinton investigation on a daily basis. Is that accurate? Uh, that's correct. And Peter Strzok in your report, uh, he was the lead investigator on the Russian investigation. Is that true? That's my understanding for the time period he was on. So the guy, he ran the Clinton investigation, he runs the Russian investigation, and he hates the president, but your report says while his bias cast a cloud, it didn't impact final decisions. Is that accurate? It didn't impact the prosecutor's final decision. Right. Let's look at a few other things Peter Strzok had to say. On May 4, 2016, the day after President Trump secures the Republican nomination, Mr. Strzok says, now the pressure really starts to finish the Clinton investigation. I'm not sure why the pressure would be more or less the day after. It seems to me you want to just do the investigation. On July 31st, as I mentioned earlier, the FBI opens the Russian investigation. One week later, Peter Strzok says, I can protect my country on many levels. Two days after that, he says, we will stop Trump. One week after that, he says, no way he gets elected. It's like an insurance policy. So think about this, Mr. Horowitz. 
Peter Strzok opens, the FBI opens the Russia investigation on July 31st, 2016. Peter Strzok is the lead investigator. Within the next 15 days, he says, I can protect my country on many levels. No way he gets elected. We will stop him. We have an insurance policy. Now, that seems like at least I think a lot of regular folks would interpret that as more than just casting a cloud on what the FBI ultimately did. I mean, it's one thing to say Trump's an idiot. It's another thing to say we got an insurance policy. It's one thing to say Trump's awful. It's another thing to say we're going to stop him, especially when those statements are made within 15 days, just days after you've launched an investigation into that individual. Would you agree? Um, and I think the important thing here is the time period we're talking about because those messages in the July-August period, which we found extremely concerning and antithetical to the core values of the FBI, um, concerned, as we noted, the Russia investigation, and as you noted. Um, and that's why we had so much concern about what occurred in late September and October. Exactly. Uh, Mr. Horowitz, was Peter Strzok put on special counsel Mueller's team? Uh, he was. So again, just to, the guy who hates the president, the guy who ran the Clinton investigation, the guy who ran the Russian investigation then gets assigned to the special counsel team. Do you know what, uh, do you know what date, Mr. Horowitz, the special counsel was named? I believe it was around May 17th. May 17th, 2017. May 17th, 2017. Mr. Horowitz, do you remember what Peter Strzok said on May 18th, 2017? I, I do. It's in our report on page 405. I unleashed it on the mid-year exam, this one? Mm -hmm. Yes. Now I need to fix it and finish it. There's unfinished business, and this could be an investigation leading to impeachment. That's what he said the day after? Correct. Again, don't you think that sounds and looks a little bit like to regular Americans, a little bit more than just casting a cloud on the overall investigations? Again, I'd go back to what the report concerned, which was the Clinton email investigation, which um, was concluded about a year earlier with Director Comey's announcement. But it's precisely why we were concerned about what occurred in late September and October when Mr. Strzok had the choice between working on the Russian investigation right. or on the Wiener Laptop Clinton investigation. He was prioritizing one over the other. Russia. Yeah. Um, let me just finish with this. And, and this is probably what bothers me more, more than all of what we just went through. This, more than that, probably what bothers me the most is Peter Strzok's attitude. Um, I think it's what bothers Americans the most about this whole ordeal. I just want to go to one more text message that one more thing Mr. Strzok said. This is back in that August time period again. August 26, 2016, Peter Strzok says, just went to a Southern Virginia Walmart. I can smell the Trump supporters. This is what, this is what ticks Americans off more than anything else. I'm convinced about all this in Clinton investigation, all this Russian investigation, is this idea that there are, there, there are two sets of rules or two standards. One set of rules for us regular folk who shop at Walmart, but a different set if your name is Clinton, Comey, Lynch, McCabe, or if your name is Peter Strzok. And the arrogance and the condescension and the elitist attitude, that is what, that is what ticks people off. And as they look at all this and see what Strzok said throughout these investigations, that's why their confidence is so shaken, and frankly, that's why they're so mad. Um, and that's why we've got to get some answers from Mr. Rosenstein and Mr. Ray about this 
about this whole ordeal. With that, I yield back. Okay, folks, and that's <laughs> you know how can the how can the guy say yeah yeah no, no, no bias here <laughs> or, or or effect here? I mean, it sounds like the bias got you know, things started with investigations and things of that nature. Uh, and we I, I do see that we unfortunately lost Susan's line. So uh, thank you very much, Susan, for coming to the show. Uh, you know, it, it kind of it's kind of reminiscent of uh, when Comey came out with Hillary and was like, well, you know, she did this, 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 and this, but no reasonable prosecutor would pursue this case. So what does that mean? What does that mean? I mean it means like, well, she's guilty as hell. Here's, a, here's my interpretation. And we are in Bard's Logic After Dark, by the way. And it says, you know, she's guilty as hell, but because of who she is, no reasonable prosecutor is going to pursue it because yeah, he doesn't want to, or she doesn't want a loss on their record. They don't want to lose that case because no reasonable prosecutor is going to do that because they know it's, you know, she's not going to get convicted, right? So that that's how that kind of the same thing with his report, um, you know, it came across. And remember, and I think Dr. Tolbert brought this up uh, last week, is that, you know, and and I was like, I was kind of baffled by it. I was like, you know, I was like, oh man, that's right. I mean, Horowitz, which there are rumors, and I, I just seen a, an article, I don't really have it, but I did see an article that uh, speculated that perhaps, uh, not Horowitz, but Rosenstein is going to be fired um, on, fe- on uh, I think this said February, I think it was Rosenstein, perhaps might be, I was either Rosenstein or Horowitz, I, said, I just barely glanced at uh, so if anyone finds an article on that, you're, you're welcome to, to, to read it here on the show. But um, it's going to be fired in, in, in five days, you know, or not five days, Friday, you know. So there's some speculation on that. But, I mean, you guys heard the clip, and so let's go ahead and uh, t- start from the top and then move our way down the, the line here. We do have other callers on. Uh, push the one on your number dial, and uh, we'll get you into the show. But we'll go ahead and start with you, uh uh, you know, what's your thoughts on what you just heard? Well, what uh, I think not only the Democrats are missing, but a lot of the public, because it is 500 pages, and I've gotten through at least 300, but you got to know that at least 30 of the first pages are just um, the introduction, what they thought had gone on. And my thing is, is, the way that this um, investigation was done is is almost as if um, the inspector general had sat in his office and called each person in and said, okay, so um, do you think, you know, obviously by your texts and emails, you do not like Mr. Trump. Is that correct? That's correct. And do you think that affected your job at all, you know, in the investigation of the Hillary Clinton emails? Oh, no, not at all. Okay. All righty. Just checking. Uh, can you send the next one in, please? Because <laughs> he keeps referring to uh, this is what they told us, and uh, this is what the prosecutor had decided, had recommended, or their conclusion. Well, what about your conclusion? Wasn't this supposed to be your report? And he kept referring to the prosecutor's um, conclusion. And not only that, but... Um, the thing with the whole email thing and the bias, how you can say... That's that a good point you made up. 
how they made no direct uh, or had no direct bias in the work that they did. And um, Horowitz has had said, you know, when you leave that stuff at the door, any personal biases that you have or any hatred or anything like that, you walk through that door, you're professional, you leave the rest at home. Okay, that's great in La La Land, but not everybody does that. And clearly they didn't do it in this instance, and it was brought to his attention numerous times that it wasn't done in this instance because they were using FBI devices to do these texts during work hours. <laughs> yeah. But the whole, the whole language of directly, it did not directly affect their investigation. And yet all these other things were pointed out as far as the procedures for interview, how it was conducted, were pointed out left and right. And it's like, are you sure you're the one that did this inspe- investigation? Because it doesn't seem like it. I don't know. Back to you, Robert. Yeah, it kind of brings me to thought of a little debate I was having with uh, one of my Facebook friends, actually somebody I dated very briefly. Uh, but anyway, uh, years ago. Uh, but anyway, and she, I didn't know back then that she's a flaming liberal Obama sycophant. But anyway, um, you know. No wonder but, it was only for a little while. Yeah, and that's, why, that's probably why it only lasted like two days. I had a feeling. No, but anyway, um, you know, so anyway, so, you know, they're talking about, oh, well, well, the Hillary Clinton, the, the, you know, there's all these investigations. You know, they're such hypocrites because, you know, we're like, look, you know, it's been almost two years and there's been no evidence found. Well, you know, look at the – they bring up, you know, uh, well, you know, there, there's still time. It's only been going on for a year or something like that. I mean, look how long it took Watergate, blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, when you want to bring up Hillary Clinton, all oh, that's over. No, there's no proof. They they spent all this money, no proof. It's like, well, wait a minute. That investigation is not fully over then. But anyway, I just want to make that as a uh, just wanted to make that as a little side note there. Um, you know, but, but as to uh, you know, as to the email scan, I mean, it's hopefully and 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 our guest mentioned this tonight about all the accomplishments. Uh, you know that that Trump could do, you know, and, and campaign promises that he made uh, that he's worked to keep. That's, I think, for me at least, one of the, uh, in my opinion, one what one of the best, not the best, but maybe the third on the best list of his campaign promises that I would love to see achieved is Hillary Clinton wearing an orange suit. <laughs> but. Yay. You know, you know, maybe it'll take time. If maybe this will finally show. Like, go ahead. Oh, saying okay, yay you gonna... for you. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, that would be. And so let's go ahead and uh, and, and again, Doctor Tober, you uh, you know you heard the audio, and I'm sure you know you, you're paying attention to things of that nature. Uh, you know, well, what's your thoughts on it? Seems like that again. It's kind of it sounds kind of like uh, you know Comey. Well, you know there is evidence there, but we're just not going to call it that. Is what it kind of comes across to me. What do you think? I don't believe or, or we know we know it is, but we're not going to do anything about it. Yeah, I don't believe the IG did his job. I think he is covering up a lot of things, although there's issues that are coming out from the side. So people that are reading the 500 pages are going to find that there's side questions that are going to be brought up. And this is what's happening in your audio, that they're finding that there was no direct uh, question by the IG, did you cover up 
or did you do something that was not legally part of the FBI's uh, responsibility, which should have been asked? I believe that, you know, Trump does have the power to remove the IG, put a new IG in and have a new uh, investigation. I think there are going to be uh, a thorough investigation of the FBI. But the question is, what members of Congress are aware of what's been going on and are preventing it from happening because they, too, could be subject to impeachment, as are currently several members of the FBI under observation or possible impeachment, and Rosenstein could be one, and there are several other names being mentioned. Uh, I stand with the letter that we wrote to the president in February that the thorough investigation of the CIA, the FBI, and the Homeland Security, all of which has breached the responsibility of the Constitution, not only what we're doing with the Russian investigation or Hillary Clinton or the 50,000 DACA, uh, the money that was brought in through the illegality, uh, the weapons sent to uh, uh, Mexico, uh, with the attorney general, all of this has been hidden, and all of this the FBI was involved in. So there's just so many people to include the last attorney general that's now running uh, in a position in California. And uh, this is a quite an extensive uh, viewpoint that is going to continue to be covered up unless the president forces uh, Congress to do something And there is a big uh, Divide now between Congress and the executive branch Yeah and not even in the executive Branch really on the top which is uh, Which is Trump As you know the executive branch where it comes To uh, you know The DOJ you know and the FBI Well that's right And, and I, the, the our DOJ The FBI uh, you know, there's a question, should Sessions be removed from office? My answer would be yes. Should Holowitz, the IG, be removed from the office? Absolutely. Uh, should there be a complete reorganization of the FBI and the DOJ? Absolutely. Uh, will Trump be able to do that, though, is going to be one of the questionable things. He, we wrote and gave him the uh, constitutional authority that he has, he does not need congressional approval to do it. The Republicans and the Democrats are trying to set him up that if he does this, they will impeach him. And everybody thinks it's only the Democrats that wants to impeach him, but the Republicans also want to impeach him because they want Pence in the office as the president. So Trump is facing a big dilemma right now to yeah, hold on yeah. To the office, and that's why we're trying to convince him not to run as a Republican in 220 and to run as an independent. Well, and that's one of the things that I said way back in July of, you know, of 2016, uh, when, uh, you know, when when he was picked, you know, when uh, Paul Ryan, and I I really think that uh, Pence, a nice guy. You know, I think he's an all right guy, but I think he, he could be easily manipulated. I mean, look, I mean, look how he caved to the, 
you know, I got no problems with, you know, gays and lesbians or other, but, you know, when they had that thing going on in, in Indiana, how fast he caved to them. I just don't think he was a, a very strong, I don't think he's a, a very strong VP, and I certainly don't think he'd be a very, uh, very strong president. And I said that back in 2016. That's why Paul Ryan went up to him and basically said, look, you know, I mean, I'm speculating, but I mean, you, you see what happened. I think because if you're looking at polls, you know, the people, you know, wanted Gingrich to be his, his VP. And it, it came down, if you recall, to Newt Gingrich and, and, and Pence. And Pence, a lot of people are like, Pence? Really? You know, how surprised it was. But then he, he ended up picking Pence. And I remember uh, uh, going to a rally in Ohio where uh, Trump was, and he was with Newt Gingrich. I mean, I I made sure I got off work well, got off work early so I could go to the, that rally. Uh, but he stated uh, that you know Trump. I mean, like uh, Gingrich is going to be somewhere in his administration, perhaps even you know he kind of alluded to perhaps even the VP. And of course, you know if you looked at polls, you know the people who you know were paying you know, paying attention and the Republicans, you know they were wanting to have Gingrich in there, uh, but he picked Pence and Mike. And, my contention is what in my theory or whatever you want to call it is that, you know, remember this was the time when they were talking about trying to get a, a broker convention, you know, trying to get other people to vote for someone other than Trump. And I think Paul Ryan said, look, you pick Pence as your VP and I'll call off the dogs. Cause remember as soon as uh, Trump picked Pence as his running mate, I mean, the, the talk of a, of a broker convention just fizzled out. I mean, even the even the never Trumpers, which let's be honest, let's remember he was he was probably one of them. Uh, you know that that idea of, of of them contesting, you know, his nomination, you know, for the you know the the Republican uh, candidate uh, for president that that fizzled out after that time. So I I certainly think that this has been in the plan, you know, been the plan for a very long time, even during the campaign. Uh, to try to get rid of Trump, and you're right, Todd Trump. But I think that there, there's many Republicans, especially in the establishment, uh, who 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 want him gone. Yeah, and you go into the fact that the state of Indiana has the highest gun problem, they have the highest crime problem, uh, they have the highest uh, employment problem, more uh, mosque and Islam in Indiana. Uh, that the uh, fact that Sawyers and other groups and individuals manipulated the election and that the Democrats and the senior Republicans didn't want Trump to win but knew that they could not beat him, so they put somebody in that would be willing to follow their instructions after they impeached Trump. So all the falsified information on Russia, the FBI, and everything else has been setting up an impeachment because they knew they could not beat Trump, but maybe they could impeach him. And it was three uh, things that they were going to be tried in question. Number one, impeachment. Uh, number two, uh, assassination. And number three, to remove him from office through other means. Uh, they've elected to go the route of impeachment before they go what they did with the Kennedys, uh, under the FBI's disguise, and there's there, one day there'll be articles that come out that the vice president and the FBI worked together uh, for the assassination of the Kennedy. Uh, we're going to find that there is an attempt uh, to do the same, but they have elected 
to try these other routes uh, rather than doing this against Trump because everybody would know that the certain members of the DOJ and the FBI and CIA were actually behind the assassination. So there's still a game being played by not staffing Trump the way he needs to be staffed, uh, by playing games uh, that they're going to sit there and say, if you do this with the DACA, we will back down in these areas that have been compromised. Now, what we have to understand by Trump as a business person, he will compromise a certain thing in order to take over other areas. Sometimes these compromises may not be recognized and they may be justified, but there's a point when the Constitution cannot be compromised, and that's the concern that we have in the next article, which is on our web, calledaduty.org. Uh, we'll be getting into the acts of terrorism, the Islam, the rights of the Constitution. So we've covered already the DACA, the OAS, the immigration, the vouchers. That was on his desk in May. Uh, in July, he's going to have the new one. Uh, we covered the VA, which we've already got done. Uh, the articles on the FBI, we've covered it several times with the president. Uh, at what point in time, though, can he do that without the Congress stepping up and forcing impeachment because he used his executive rights to remove from office people such as Sessions and the IG? That's going to be the real question. And that's probably why he hasn't done it, because he knows, you know, uh, he can do it. But, of course, the political black, uh, backlash, because, you know, if he does it, how the Democrats and the media, who are, you know, for the past four decades have been in the the liberals, you know, pocket. Uh, and so, I mean, that's probably why he hasn't done it yet because of the political implications. And here's an example here of, of what you talked about with uh, the Republicans and especially the establishment. And, and with Trump, this is a, an, an article today uh, where it says, uh, you know, uh, Trump delivers blow to GOP establishment, ignores Paul Ryan. And remember, we talked about this on previous show about, you know, how Paul Ryan's going to try to get all this amnesty for all these people before he leaves. Ignores Paul Ryan's amnesty deal in the rally speech. It says, during a rally in Duluth, Minnesota on Wednesday night, uh, President Trump ignored a plan pushed by House Speaker Paul Ryan. When the God damn that guy's going to leave? But anyway, um, pushed uh, by House Speaker Paul Ryan to give amnesty to more than 2 million illegal aliens and the children of foreign workers delivering a major blow to the, US, the GOP establishment. The Trump rally was filled with the populist president's strong language on the border advocating for an immigration system that works in the interest of American citizens rather than foreign nationals. Left out of Trump's rally speech was any mention of Ryan's amnesty deal that is set to fail in the House tomorrow. Democrats put illegal immigrants before they put American citizens. What the hell is going on, Trump said, as Breitbart News reported. Ryan and the GOP House leadership were hoping for Trump to give their amnesty deal a shout-out during the rally, but mention of the legislation never came. Yesterday, following a meeting with House Republicans, Trump officials said the president supported both the Ryan amnesty deal and other immigration bills set for a vote tomorrow, the pro-American Good Latte Bill. Oh, geez. 
the support by Trump has not been enough to whip up sufficient votes for either the immigration bill with the legislation expected to fail tomorrow. So as Breitbart News reported, uh, Ryan's deal would immediately bestow an amnesty on about 2.2 million illegal aliens with only the promise that the border wall will be built in the future on the U.S.-Mexican border. The amnesty would uh, also only reduce legal immigration levels temporarily, giving American citizens no set or no net boost to their wages or relief from mass legal immigration, as Bart Breitbart noted. News noted. Uh, currently, the U.S. admits more than 1.5 million legal and illegal immigrants every year, with more than 70% coming to the country through the process known as chain migration. Uh, whereby new naturalization citizens can bring an unlimited num- number of foreign relatives in the country. Uh, in the next 20 years, the current U.S. legal immigration system uh, is on track to import roughly 15 million new foreign-born. Think about it, folks. That's a 5% of our popula- current population. 5% of our current population they're going to let in of foreign-born voters, foreign-born born people. Uh, between 7 and 8 million of those foreign-born voters will arrive in the U.S. through chain migration. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring this uh, again back uh, down to the line, and let's bring it back to you, John, and then Kelly. Uh, we do have others on the phone on the line. If you'd like to chime in before the end of the show, we only have about 35 minutes left, and that's not even including uh, final uh, thoughts and the time it takes to close out. But let's go ahead and uh, see if we got any comments uh, from John or Kelly on that. Go ahead, John. Yeah, definitely appreciate the opportunity. I mean, how can you really push it further than what um, Dr. Tolbert was first bringing? The thing that sticks out to me, though, is that they're hiding behind this secrecy, you know, classified, top secret. We've got to keep everything under wraps. They've got to protect the source and message, the processes and procedures. Whereas if there was transparency, where all of us legal United States citizens could see that the processes and the procedures and all the stuff was being done on the up and up, and it seemed more fair to us, we'll learn what's right and wrong about our own thinking. So let me say something real quick. Thank you, Miss Susan, for your critique on what I said earlier, because you're right. President, um, uh, what was his name? She brought it, 19... Kennedy? Yeah, Kennedy. You know, she brought up that he tried to stand out and he got killed or whatnot. So I appreciate her sharing that because definitely that's a little different than the context that I was speaking on. I was speaking from the standpoint that we continue to get president after president who just reinforced the stereotype that, hey, once you elect me into office, I get to be the bully and I get to run roughshod over you and just use the Congress to process any you know rules, laws, processes that we want to, and whether you like it or not. And that's where we're getting away from the whole foundation of what our country was built on, that all of us would have the same privileges and immunities. But, um, but I appreciate what she was saying because she's right in the context she received what I was saying. But um, getting back to where I was coming from on getting transparency on these processes and making sure that we, the people, are learning in those opportunities to, you know, like I was saying earlier about Trump. He missed an opportunity on being able to force the issue to get Congress 
to actually do their job in making sure that the um, immigrant children's issue was dealt with under the immigration policy correctly whenever um, he basically felt the pressure from all of the manipulation of all the other, you know, Democrats and other uh, Washington establishment Republicans in the media. So, therefore, he caved on that, and he's continuing to just basically, excuse the term, bastardize the rule of law. We don't have the rule of law. It's still the rule of man masquerading under the color of law. But if we had more transparency and stopped allowing them to use this classified secrecy nonsense so much to hide from us the truth of what's going on, then more people would learn the processes and we would see that it was more fair and it wouldn't matter if there was a Democrat or a Republican in there. They couldn't. The media couldn't use that mentality against us because we would see everything's working out so we could care less right now part of the problem is is we do have republicans in there they're you know whether it be Mueller or um uh deputy attorney general um rosenstein they're republicans they're just establishment globalist republicans and they don't give a hoot about the constitution and the rule of law they want to just do what their little puppet masters are telling them to do and we got to try to overcome that. And, you know, with the in Russia investigation nonsense through all this stuff, if, they, if this was a true investigation, in my humble opinion, which, you know, everything I say here is my opinion, all the media, the media owners, all the congressmen, the senators, and their donors would all be investigated because they could have colluded with Russians in order to manipulate the situation. And Russians just took them for for suckers and took their money and did what they wanted to do and didn't care who won. And then it just so happened that President Trump, because he wasn't really beholden anybody, he spent his own money. Think about it. This guy's not taking a paycheck. He gave up that $400,000 a year to be our servant. But at the same time, he's continuing to be a bully and a manipulator, and maybe he feels, you know, like uh, Dr. Tobit was saying, that he's stuck in that corner and he doesn't he doesn't have enough support from all the people that he's been able to get in the office or you know his administration so far to be able to really do what the constitution would call him to do so therefore he has to try to manipulate just like they're manipulating fight fire with fire so to speak and but that just continues to push us further apart and cause more destruction you know, because more people psychologically just are going to come apart at the seams and get tired of the situation, especially people that get their kids taken from them, and then they see the doggone foreigner kids get special privileges, or they get put in jail for stupid, trivial things whenever you can run across the border, which is a crime, and you get privileged with, you know, housing and everything you mentioned earlier. Well, we have, you know, Edward Snowden and some of the people that worked inside that helped us stand those things, and he ought to respect it. President Trump ought to respect that and give those guys a doggone prize or something for disclosing it, whether it be Edward Snowden, William Benning, Thomas Drake, uh, Russell Tice, uh, John Kirikuyu, or I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. But I do want to ask um, Dr. Tolbert a question, if he's still on. If Trump runs in 2020 as an independent, wouldn't that split the vote 
wouldn't it be better for him to stay on as a Republican but get all of us Republicans to go change the rule to say independents can vote in our primaries also? Because the Democrats open their primaries up to independents, whereas we, the Republicans, don't. However, if he, we got to open up our primaries to independents to vote with us Republicans, then that would probably be better than trying to just jump ship and split the vote between Republicans and independents. Because if he runs as an independent, there's going to be a certain number of Republicans that are still going to vote Republican. And we could use their vote under the Republican uh, a banner, just like he did this last time in 2016. What do you think, Mr. Tolbert? You know, to answer your question, there's actually a higher number of de- uh, Democrat voters than there are Republican voters. And currently, there are more independent voters registered than there are Republican voters. And the question is, will the Democrats and the Republicans and the independents' numbers be high enough to sway the votes? And will there be then a division in the 100 senators? And currently, there is only one senator that is an independent senator and not a Democrat or Republican. And how would that affect the system? That's going to be the unknown factor. And the only reason the Republicans got behind Trump is when Trump said, if you do not support me, I will run as an independent. And that's changed the political party outlook, and he won the election. So for him to come up and say and to manipulate the situation again and to say, I'm going to run on this ticket if you guys don't support me, will he really do it? Or will it be a manner of how he can get reelected? And that's really going to be the question in 2020. Information on another subject Yeah, I just want to just add one thing, that uh, Obama was supposed to have all his memoirs and uh, emails and everything placed on archives, and they found out just recently that over 30 or 40 percent of all of his emails, all of his notes and memoirs were destroyed by the FBI with the intent of hiding what he was doing also. Yeah, I heard a little snippet of that. And I know Kelly's got something with the illegal immigrants uh, to share as well. So let's go ahead and bring uh, Kelly back around. Go ahead, Kelly. Yeah, I guess uh, Trump is giving a, or did give a speech in Duluth, Minnesota. Duluth, Minnesota. Oh, don't you know? Hand me a big, will you? Would you like to go on a boat, right? <laughs> okay. Anyway, I <laughs> love Minnesotans. All right. Anyway. Okay, IG topic is on the table. The, the IG's report. I'm going to probably say something that everybody has been wondering. What's the IG? What is the IG? I'm going to have to research that position. Obviously, he's FBI. Um, I mean, if you don't know. Okay, but he doesn't he work under the FBI? They're supposed to be like an omnibudsman for the, he's the, a, the yeah, he's, to make he's, sure that he's the rules and laws and processes are. Yeah, he's an independent that is not under the control of anyone under the J- DOJ or the FBI, and he's supposed to oversee to ensure that they follow the proper procedures. And if not, he writes a report but has no authority to file criminal charges. 
So the inspector, I'm going to have to research it. I mean, if you don't know, you don't know. I didn't know what a solicitor general was years ago when I first heard, what's solicitor general? He's nicknamed the Supreme Court. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, that's what Clinton but, was. Clinton was a soliciting general. He was soliciting. Soliciting. Well, what, the solicitor general, <laughs> yeah, what they do. Yeah, he was a general because he was the commander-in-chief. Yeah. So the solicitor general is nicknamed the 10th Supreme Court Justice because the solicitor general picks what cases get shown to the Supreme Court justices. Well, if Dr. Tolbert is, has been successful, then the, uh, all cases are going to be presented, not just the ones the, uh, the Solicitor General picks. So IG, okay, great. I'm going to have to look that up a little bit more. You know, it might might be like a county auditor. County auditor basically who looks at the workings of the county and inspects the finances and this and that. The only problem is he's a county worker. And if his friend's doing corruption, then it just, you know. I mean, there's, and who appoints the IG? Probably the president. Okay. Now, let's suppose there is an IG, okay, as we've talked about. Yeah, because Obama... Uh, Appointed hard work, yeah. Uh, correct. Yeah, okay. So I, I, I just I didn't know. If you don't know, you don't know. Uh, this means i got to learn. Okay, fine. So the IG, obviously appointed by the president. And is, is there all sorts of rules, uh, federal rules of procedure? Is there a congressional authority over the IG? Probably. What are the statutes, federal statutes, on, on the operations of the IG? Now, that would be an interesting study. Okay. Does the IG have subpoena power? Probably not. Does the FBI have subpoena power? No. <clears throat> so they got to go to a judge or a grand jury. Grand jury can basically grab the subpoena form, fill it out, send it off. Okay. <clears throat> um, so we have an IG here. This is just kind of – I'm gathering things because I've been very busy with family stuff and the family of origin back in the Midwest and other stuff going on in my life. Uh, I got it. Got to... It's a paragraph. Oh. From the office, okay. Um, it's actually from the government website of the Office of Inspector about the office. The Office of the Inspector General in the U.S. Department of Justice is a statutorily created independent entity whose mission is to detect and deter waste, fraud, abuse, and misconduct in DOJ programs and personnel, and to promote economy and efficiency in those programs. BOIG investigates alleged violations of criminal and civil laws by DOJ employees, and also audits and inspects DOJ programs. The Inspector General, who is appointed by the President, subject to Senate confirmation, reports to the Attorney General and Congress. That's it. Oh, okay. Well, thanks. That was great, Suzette. Suzette, we have Susan. Susan, Suzette. And he does not have subpoena power, and that's why there were several people that was supposed to show up that said they were out of country, but they were actually in other states. So he has no authority to make people show up in front of him, and people can lie to him and get away with it. Exactly. Well, well here's the thing. Without it, I mean, there's no penalty. Now I just don't want to show up. I know you're Inspector General, but, you know, I mean, what what criminal – person is going to, uh, wow. yes, Mr. Inspector General, I'll be in your office tomorrow, and I'll tell you all the criminal behavior I've been involved in and all my friends. Yeah, right. How does he get his information? Maybe, maybe Congress can work, I don't know, but I'm guessing, maybe Congress can work with the IG, and through a congressional subpoena, 
say, boom, you will get in front of the IG and answer his questions. Well, we go back to, great, well, now he has to be in power from Congress. Okay. I mean, but how do you, how does he get his information? And how reliable can it be? And how, how deep can you go into this without subpoena power? Um, I can't. And, I, and the, I, Jeff Sessions was the one that chose him over the special counsel. He kicked it, not Congress. But, yeah, you're absolutely correct. And that's why Congress didn't want to go that way with the IG. Well, I mean, if there's a mechanism – if there's a mechanism that Congress can give subpoena power, a congressional subpoena, you will answer all the questions of the the IG. Well, then that that could be a great system of accountability. Just the IG just isn't in the Constitution. The Attorney General is. The Justice Department is not. FBI not. CIA not. Well, where did, where did wait a minute? Where did the FBI come from? The Justice Department. The Justice Department is over the FBI. Well, wait a minute. Who created the Justice Department? Well, Johnny Come Lately appeared in 1870 by a congressional law. That's what's created the Justice Department. But who still has to go to either grand jury judge for subpoena? Oh, that's right. Justice Department. There you go. Anyway, so what's interesting here is you have the potential. Let's say this guy is honest. He believes in justice. And he's going to do something. Great. Great. But what if he's just putting on a dog and pony show, kind of like the Warren Commission and the 9-11 Commission to placate the Republicans? We may not get to the truth. But, of course, the IG, if he's believing in justice, he would also be able to investigate the operation to the president. But wait a minute. He's appointed by the president. You're fired. You see, there's just all these placations of justice, and our country's pretending to have justice. Why are we not going to the grand jury? Gee, I wrote a book about that. Um, you know, it's just I just ah, I get so frustrated, and I hope people see through this. That there is a potential here for another Warren Commission and another 9/11 Commission. Um, maybe he's going to do good things. I don't know. I don't know the guy. I don't know his history. I don't know his legal experience. I don't know his investigative powers. I do not know. Can we trust what the IG report says? Well. It could pr- produce some leads to a grand jury, um, which, by the way, grand jury is independent of the president and the courts, U.S. versus Williams. It is a constitutional fixture unto itself. It's not found in Article 1, 2, or 3, Justice Scalia, U.S. versus Williams. So I, I just – when are we going to have an independent investigation when the heart of the investigators – is sheer justice. I'm not I don't I haven't read the poor report. I'm not gonna downplay what the IAG has done. I only have the right to be suspicious. And upon that right of suspicion, I then um do investigations, I confirm or deny facts or find a different trail to go down. But I do have the right to be suspicious. I mean come on. Warren Commission, where's the grand jury? Consenbach suggested to LBJ, hey, let's have the Warren Commission, yeah, and let's put somebody on the Warren Commission that hated Kennedy. <laughs> hey, and 9-11 Commission, where's the grand jury? No grand jury. All right, so I, I'm just wanting some assurance of fiat justitia ruat calium, which is Latin for let justice be done though the heavens fall. Kelly. Yes. 
what's the title of your book and where can people find it? Amazon. The Hidden Fourth Branch, A Corrupt Government's Worst Nightmare. Thank you. So I don't need to there's do a presentation because I found there's so even much a more. little bit. But, yeah, there's it. Uh, let's see. Let's um, just because I can. Let's see if something. Uh, let's see. Um, look at something up here. Because I can. At least I think I can. Let's see. Well. I was trying to uh, find an old, uh, pardon me, I was just trying to find a little, uh, not a little, but an old uh, an old audio. Go ahead, Kelly. So anyway, um, we have yet to find out. Supposedly, uh, the sealed indictments is up to like, um, I don't know, over 20,000, so they say. It's good time, but if if it's true... Um, wait a minute, sealed indictment? How does that public even get a hold of that? I'm doing some critical thinking here, folks. Um, maybe that's why I'm having trouble getting a date. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> the what? I said yikes. Yeah. Well, it would help if I tried. Anyway, but um, yeah, so, so how... how how do we have any assurance? There's a little somebody's on speakerphone. It's echoing back, echoing back, echoing yeah. back, echoing. All right, um, but uh, yeah, how do we have any assurance that true investigations are being done for the purposes of justice for the best interests of the American people? You know, I mean, okay, there's the Rosenstein, the McCabe, and all the da-da-da, McCabe seeking immunity, and all this stuff, he'll spill the beans. I mean, that's a great way to get off if, if, you're, uh, <clears throat> if you're in on it. Yeah, so on immunity, hey, here's all the crimes I committed. Blah, 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 blah. hey, game, you know, I can never be, I can never be, and it was, uh, I went to a Supreme Court, actually. I, I can't be charged for what I just said. I was in on it, but also here these other people are. These other people are in on it, and guess what? Oh, goodness. McCabe's going to end up dead. <laughs> uh, yeah, if he ends up uh, doing something to uh, <laughs> with the Clintons. Uh, but I do see um, it's about a quarter to the hour, and so I've got about uh, ten minutes. We've still got some folks here on the line. Uh, so to give everybody, you know, just all you guys about a couple minutes to, uh, to do closing comments. I wish we had more time because I definitely have more material we can use on this subject, and I'm sure we'll probably be talking about it. Uh, talking about it again. So, uh, and I, I do have some. You know, if I had time for just one more audio, but maybe not. Um, but we'll 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 talk more. Now this one, it's about ten minute clips. So I probably don't have time for that. Um, but we'll we'll talk more on it. Uh, but anyway, let's go ahead and get everyone for their closing comments. Each person got about, you know, again, a couple minutes for that, and maybe we'll be able to squeeze in a little, uh, a little more. So let's go ahead and do it this way. Of course, we'll go uh, to you, Suzette, then Dr. Tolbert, then John, then you, Kelly, and then I'll uh, have to close things out. There's still some time for that, but I do want to be able to give people ample time, and then I'll have to close things out for the night. 
And so, but whoever's got background things going on, if we can, we can mute that until then. But let's go ahead and uh, start with you, Suzette. Go ahead. Okay. Well, if you've ever watched um, Chef Ramsay in Hell's Kitchen, I just say, shut it down. All of it. <laughs> FBI, get rid of them. Start over if they need to. But seriously, they've just got such a mess. They say Trump is a circus. They haven't looked at themselves. DOJ Deputy Director Rod Rosenstein continues to criminally defy congressional subpoena mandating the DOJ turnover of FBI Mueller investigation documents. Already having intentionally refusing to meet the required documents, Rosenstein was given another deadline this past Sunday. Still hasn't responded. Still hasn't responded. So I guess um, Gowdy and Nunes are now finding him in contempt of Congress, and they're filing those articles of impeachment, and that's what you were talking about earlier. All about about the possibility of him getting rid of him Friday by Friday. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, someone's got their uh, speakers on the computer up because I just heard myself. <laughs> well, that would that would be something, you know. I mean, of course, you know how the med- the media is going to spin it, and of course, we'll be uh, we'll be on top of that as well. Well, thanks, Suzette, as always, and let's go ahead and uh, to yourself uh, for closing comments, Dr. Tolbert. Yeah, and, and the real question is going to be, should the IG himself be investigated for covering up what really has been presented and the fact that he's not presenting the actual facts of the cover-ups by Obama, Clinton, and other individuals by the way he asked the questions nor did he request subpoenas against individuals who have lied about where they're at and what they're doing, not only to Congress, but to also to the IG. So there's going to be a big question about that. And, of course, under the letter that we sent the president is the fact that the FBI is totally corrupt. There's not one staff member that has been recognized that has done their job. However, there's now names that have been changed in the reports submitted that are now being uncovered, and there are spokespeople that are coming forth that are not pleading the Fifth Amendment, although there were several members of the FBI that did plead the Fifth and refused to answer questions. So there is still a big cover-up happening. And Congress is going to have to step in and form a committee to investigate the entire FBI. Wow. Well, I know there's some, you know, a lot of top dog, a lot, a lot of top dogs, a lot of top uh, bigwigs there. And the FBI's either had to got fired or resigned or or retired early or something of that nature. So, yeah, that definitely tells you something's going on. Uh, John, go ahead. Yeah, I want to just throw out Thanks, a... Thanks, Dr. Tober. Go ahead, John. Oh, yeah, I just want to throw out a, a special message to all the leaders in America, whether you be business leader or in Congress or the president. Uh, definitely give Edward Snowden a pass and get expunge his record and bring him back to America. He's one of the most knowledgeable, intelligence person on the, his, on the planet, and you got him working for the 
um, Russians or some other organization now when he could be actually helping us, when he actually helped us learn the corruption going on in our own government. William Benning, Thomas Drake, Russell Tice, all these guys. But also, I want you to make sure and remember President Trump and all Congress and business leaders. We're only as good as our weakest link. And when people don't feel like that they have the means or the resources to be able to take care of the burdens or issues that they think need to be straightened out, in my humble opinion, that's what happens when these people turn into people like Las Vegas shooting up a doggone um, our fellow Americans at a country music festival because he might have been, you know, spending money in the millions because he was a high roller but he apparently lacked resources in some form or fashion and felt the only way for him to move. And why that happens is a big issue that you need to stop this secrecy stuff and come out with the rule of law and transparency and do it right so we all are on the same page and caring for each other and loving each other and helping our homeless and our um, veterans and people out in the streets and stuff get taken care of before you show any... uh, concern about foreign entity people if we're going in debt at the rate we're going in debt now and we can't take care of the very own family members of the american families that are here now we don't have any business helping somebody else and you are actually telling your fellow american they aren't even worth nothing and that you would prefer to go ahead and manipulate the rules and laws to benefit your special interest privileges as opposed to help let those rules and laws reflect every single legal American's will. Mutuality, I've said it before, mutuality, an agreement in governing, and you guys want to exclusively govern to yourself and to your little puppet masters. So remember, we're only good, only as good as our weakest link, and psychology plays a big part of it. Thank you so very much, Robert, and all the good work you're doing. Back to you. Well, thank you very much, Don, and we'll bring it uh, on to you, Kelly. Oh, do I have to talk again? Okay. No, you don't, oh. but no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was once driving with my son and uh, trying to explain to him that the best type of conversation is a conversation that ebbs and flows back and forth. That's where I was going with the conversation. I said to my son, and he was like 11. You know what the best kind of conversation is? And he turns to me and says, none. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. I wanted to address something. And I, and I really mean this. And, and I hope this is taken well. There are good people in government. Here in the county I live in, Siskiyou County, California, we're on the Oregon border. You know what? There are many good people in government, in the county government, mostly because it's small town. Everybody knows everybody. Word gets around. A lot of accountability in small counties, small population anyway. And the bad ones seem to get exposed, and they're out. But people do get into government, federal government, with good intentions, and sometimes they get thwarted. They get discouraged. They become whistleblowers if they're strong ones. Uh, Rand Paul is doing a good thing with the Right to Work. You might want to go check out his website, Right to Work, and it'll bust the unions because the unions say, thou shalt pay union dues or not work. It's trying to make it a crime, I guess, or other things. You have the right to work whether you're 
paying union dues or not. Even if you're in the union, you don't have to pay union dues. Of course, the unions will sue because they get an enormous amount of power through the money, like Wisconsin, teachers' union. The the loop of teacher union, more money to from the teachers to the union. They lobby the legislature, and they get a, a salary raise, salary raise up, 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 up. And Scott, Governor Scott busted them. Had a recall. He survived. Next thing you know, the schools are operating in the positive financially. And uh, so Rand Paul is trying to do some good things. His dad, of course, Ron Paul, is doing very good things. There have been a number of good people in government. And maybe they're outnumbered by the bad people. Now, if we believe that all government is bad and all judges are bad and everybody's bad under government, guess what? We should just move to South America or um, Belize or somewhere else because we're toast. It's over. Done. Why are we even talking about this? Why are we even this <laughs> Yeah, well, Belize is great if you like bugs. All right, but here's what I'm trying to tell folks. We've got to believe. We've got to find those who are doing the right thing. We've got to encourage them, stand behind them. I see police officers. Hey, thin blue line. Hey, thank you. That's how they respond. I've got uh, an acquaintance slash friend, and he's a police officer. He's a sheriff's deputy now, an investigator. I learned his, I just by listening to him. He feels understood. He feels empowered. He is doing the right thing. We go to the Bible study together on occasion, and. So we have got to realize not just that there are good people. We also have to believe that the American people, if they are if they are empowered, if they are encouraged, if they are strengthened, then right can win. If we say, and I'm starting to lecture, I'm sorry. If we say that our government is corrupt, guess what? Let's just hang up our phones, call it done, move to another country. It's over. We've got to encourage. We've got to believe there are good people in government. They might be overpowered for a time. So I'm, I'm hoping. You know Carson Tucker. What do you know? He's on. Great, great. Really like Carson. He just hammers things. There's other good ones. You know, other good reporters. But we've got to believe this, or we're done. We're wasting our time. So. Or get with or, that said, or, I wanna, or put or. or Go ahead, Charles. Yeah, I, I, that's, I'm, I'm going to be repetitive if I keep saying it, but it's important that we have to have the belief because if we're not approaching even our city council members or our county supervisors, which I walk in the supervisor's chambers, they see me there. Some of them are kind of like, oh, no, not this guy again, but you know, then I get some winks, and yeah, you got a good point. If I didn't believe we had a, a, a good county election clerk, I wouldn't be talking to her. I talked to her last or two weeks ago after the election real shortly. And, and I've seen she's hardworking, she's she's good, she's honest, she doesn't have a clue about computers. But if we if, if we come in to talk to government officials with a negative attitude, they are going to read our body language and they won't listen. There are good people in government, folks. Otherwise, our country would be done decades ago. Um, Watergate. So we definitely need to get more, more of the, the – yeah, definitely got to get more of those good people. But we do have to close things out, and I want to thank everyone and look forward to seeing you or hearing from you next week uh, as well. Uh, but I will have to close things out uh, before they shut us down automatically. And so we'll uh, end tonight, as I do every night, and that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of our music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. Thanks again, everyone. We will see you next time, and have a good night. Good night, folks. 